Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Call-In. This is episode 73, Shama Sawant launching worker movement. Shama Sawant has announced she is launching a worker movement. She has responded to AOC's viral video about fighting for concessions and how it relates to fighting for the working class. What are your thoughts? So we already have people lined up. Let's go ahead and start with Hoop. You are on the mic. What is going on, Hoop? And let me make sure I got Ms. my Hoop. volume. Can you hear me? Terrible with that. You Can you hear me? I know some of you are like, when is she going to get this right? The media volume. There we go. What's going on, Hoop? I'm good. I'm good. I am great. Okay. I just want to tell you that you guys have came a long way. I've, I've been one of the, you know, 1,200 prior subscribers when RBN still had RJ on that, you know, before all the drama even. And uh, you guys are coming a long way. Nick Nick, and you and CJ, you know what I mean? Rome's always doing his thing. But, you know, we appreciate you as a working class. But um, Thank you so much for that, Hoop. That means a lot. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, like, I've been taking it upon myself since Bernie got smeared in the second campaign to just bust right-wingers you know, and, like, uh, their ideology as far as, like, you know, their culture issues. They always bring up stuff about gays and stuff like that, you know? So, like, I've been taking that upon myself to, like, bust them at work and stuff. So, it's easy. Anti-war, you know, uh, education and healthcare are three things that we can all u- unite around, you know what I mean? So, like, anytime that they go away from that message, you gotta, you gotta stick to that. You know what I mean? And, and because nobody can like go against that, you know? Right. Like, especially something like this, like the worker movement, like, I mean, most of us are workers in in some way, shape or form, right? That's something that we can all identify with. And you mentioned the anti-war movement. That's that's another huge one that you can unite with people over. Uh, that's actually happening in D.C. February nineteenth. That uh, Rage Against the War Machine uh, rally. There are people from all different sides that are a part of that rally. So there are certain issues that we can unite over. Yeah, um, health, healthcare is always one, and you know, yeah. education. You know, th- those are three that like we all gonna want. You know, it's been I got four children, and hey, let me tell you something. To think that, like, we're not going to be able to provide a better fucking life for them, you know? That is just getting worse, man. It's sick, bro. Yes, uh, the education system in this country is abysmal. And, I mean, I'm a union pipe fitter, and I've been in the trade for 20 years. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be a, a, you know, worker, but... Like, I don't work for them all the time. You know, I get into it with companies because, you know, they're how they are, imperialistic, you know? That's true. That's true. At the end of the day, they just see you as as a tool. Like, you're there to do the job for them. And then you'll see a lot of times the workers are making just enough to get by, but the people who are the CEOs, the ones who own the company, like they're making a hella profit, especially like during the pandemic, like CEOs got richer during the pandemic while everyone else was like either losing their jobs. Or- yeah, if you see, if you see my breakdown of our wages, like we put, we pay X amount into healthcare, like every union has their own or whatever. 
but we pay so much into that. So like every time they come around with a healthcare message, like the healthcare insurance companies just buy our union backing, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what really happens. Or like they'll, the, the oil or coal industry will buy my, my union, you know, that's because right. That's, that's another thing so too. Like, you know what I mean? That they're coal and oil. So like, They'll always buy them, you know what I mean? Like, so. 100% correct. The and only we, way we're going to be able to fight them is a strike. Like, I've been saying this for years. You can go back, you know what I mean? On any of my comments on RBN, I've been saying strike for years, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, that's the only way we're going to do it. We got to stick together. Teamwork makes the dream work. I'm just, I, I love what y'all are doing over there. You're the only ones that, like, I can show somebody three shows and they change their whole, like, what they've been thinking for 20 years. You know what I mean? Thank so, you so much for that. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yes, it's it's really interesting because we came into this space to to try to, you know, educate people and honestly to wake people up to what was happening around them, to get people to realize that, Regardless what your political affiliation is, I mean, at the end of the day, especially if you're a worker and you're not a CEO, you're being screwed over in some way, shape or form. And that's important for people to understand. So this movement that Shama is starting, Worker uh, Fight Back, this is huge. This is exactly what we've been talking about all this time, you guys. Like we needed something for the workers, specifically for them. We need something for the people. And, you know, we thought that was going to be MPP, but I think we all know how that has, you know, turned out. There's been issues there and, and there's going to be issues with any organization. But what I like about this particular announcement is that it's it's defined. Workers strike back. That's what it is. That's it. You ain't, you don't have to sit back and ask any questions like, what does that mean? What is this organization really about? I'm confused. Is this progressive organization? Is this a populist organization? Like, nah, bruh, it's just workers strike back. <laughs> it's that simple. I like it when it's, it's explicit like that. Uh, and that way it can't be co-opted. That's important as well. What's going on, Miss Delthea? You are on the mic. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, I am trying to get over this whole thing with AOC trying to explain herself by saying, I can't get anything done if I hurt somebody's feelings. Girl, what the hell Right. Then she shouldn't have been a Justice Democrat. That's she should have just about. ran as a as a corporate Democrat. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing that kills me. I think most of us would not be as angry at her if she did not run under an organization that specifically stated the goal was to take over the Democratic Party and to push uh -huh. back against the corporate Democrats. But no, she she ran under that organization, and then she goes, okay. "Why well, can't ruin relationships that I have with people?" then leave Justice Democrats. If this is the way it's going to be, and, and look, be bold about it, okay? Own your yeah. shit. <laughs> well, you, you're, not, you're not in a... Look, if a relationship can't survive a fight, that's not a relationship. That's a master and a slave. Oh, yes. Don't okay. Let, 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 let's get real about this thing. That's a master and a slave. 
if you and I are in a relationship, we can fall out and then we can mend bridges. But that's not what she's doing. And I don't think that's what she want to do. I no. think she's gotten real comfortable. You know, it's, it's easy to say, like, what you're going to fight against until you get that salary. Let's remember how much congressmen and women make. Even the first year. They're making six figures mm-hmm. the first year. Mm-hmm. How, I think it's like, what is it now, 175? Yes, how? Listen, Delthea, I yes. know, listen, I have students that graduated with their PhD. They're not making six figures. Oh, I know people with PhDs that are getting, you know, food stamps. Exactly. Okay. This is a sad, sad reality in this country. Like a lot of my students that graduate with PhDs, they're postdocs and they're only making like $45,000 a year in Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in Boston, because the cost of living is so high, they probably qualify for relief. Some of them do if they have dependents. Some of them yep. do, some of them don't. Um, it's also tricky too if they're internationals and they have a work yeah. visa. So yeah. that's another issue you might run into. But yeah, it's just like, and I've said this before too, when we talk about workers, PhD students, especially those in the science fields, it's just free mm-hmm. labor and cheap labor to the faculty members. How mm-hmm. do you pay this, these kids a stipend of like thirty-two, $33,000 a year to live in Boston? And you have them working in the labs until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and then they still have to go to class the next day. That's just a way for people to get cheap labor. And this is why you see some of these graduate student organizations rising up and asking to be a union to get better benefits. Look, the last time I was in Boston, I was there for a week. And I spent in the four figures in that week. By the time you, you know, put in the, the hotel room and and eating out and all this stuff. And that was just a visit. I can't imagine having to live there forever. Oh, I, I, I believe it. It's it's very expensive and it's only increased over time since I moved here 11 years ago. And mm-hmm. I think what's, what's important is that I'm so excited about this project because again, it's not connected to a political party. It is a, a movement specifically for the workers And I think what we've learned over the past two years, even when it comes to the unions, we've seen how some of the union leaders can screw over the union members. Well, that's because the unions are now corporate. There you go. And corporations, they they, they love each other. You know, what they say, you know, game recognizes game. Yeah. That's what goes on between corporations. Game recognizes game. So that's what happened. Now, as for as for um, Shama Sawant, I love this woman. I love her. I think she's doing the exact right thing because I don't. I think that the seat, the political seat that you run for, that's the important thing, not the party, not even the individual in the seat. We, the people, own the seat. Whoever's in it, they do what we say. So it is in the movement, not necessarily the election, that power really happens. I agree. And you know what else I've I've noticed as well? Like, honestly, guys, if you sit back and you think about it, once this gets big, because like I said, all it's going to take is for her to go on, uh, if she goes on Jimmy Dore's show, and let's say she go on to Chris Chris Hedges' show, Mm -hmm. News Network. 
bam, that's all you really need to get to get the word out. Once right. it gets big, can you imagine the look on someone like Bernie Sanders or AOC's face? Because really, maybe not so much AOC, but really, this is what Bernie Sanders was supposed to do. Oh, AOC is going to go apoplectic. You you ain't you ain't seen this chick come up with excuses yet. You have not seen her twist logic and the truth. You mm, because what's going to happen is you're going to have these two young these two young women, and they're going to get compared one to the other. Mm-hmm. And then AOC is going to have to, as the old folks say, shit or get off the pot. Someone made a meme on Twitter. It was pretty funny. They said what you thought you were, or what was it? Um, what you thought you were getting, and it was a picture of Shama Sawant, and then they mm-hmm. said what you actually got, and it was AOC. There you go. That's perfect. That and I think perfect. that's what we. I think that's what we thought we were getting with AOC. We thought well, we, we were going to get a fighter. <laughs> well, we did. And when she was running, go back and listen to her rhetoric. That's what she sounded like. Mm-hmm. Everything that Shama Suwan is doing now, AOC said she would do. But she has not mm-hmm. done. And she's not going to do it. That's right. That's right. And and you you see the difference now. And I think, and one thing I will say is this, and, and Shama would not fall for this, but I just want to say this to everybody else that's listening. One thing I will say that cannot happen, you cannot have the Democratic Party, you can't have these Democrat politicians come in and be a part of this because that would ruin no. the whole damn thing. No, 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 no. You, what you do is you, okay. When Dr. King was working DC and the man worked the city. Don't don't ever let anybody tell you he's different. You know, he would go in and he'd be like, look, here, here's the deal. I need this, this, and this. You can give it to me. Or on the other side of that door, there's a Malcolm X. Mm. You know, there's a Huey Newton. You can give it to them. See, because at this point, you're going to do it. It's just a question of how beat up you're going to be when you do it. That's how AOC was supposed to work. And that's how Shama Sawant works. You can deal that's with me right now, or you can deal with the other guy later. And the other guy, he's not a good guy. That's how mm-hmm. you do politics. You don't do politics by saying, I didn't come here to hurt your feelings. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm not going to hurt your no, no, that's not how you do it. That thing has gotten to me. It's, ooh, ooh, it's just, it, ooh. It, it hurts me in my spirit. It makes that you feel some kind of way, right? Hmm? It makes you feel some kind of way. It does. I mean, it, it hurts me in my spirit to hear a grown-ass woman say, I didn't come here to hurt your feelings. That's right. I, is she supposed to be a woman of power? I grew up around women of power. They ain't never say, I didn't come here to hurt your feelings. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the women, women in my family be like, look, you better hope that's all I hurt. 
Yeah, uh, same thing with with my family as well. Like my mom, <laughs> my mom used to tell me when I was little, she was like, "Better toughen up." Who? <laughs> what you talking about? My mother made it very clear. She was like, "I don't ever want you to start a fight, but you better make damn sure you finish it." Yeah, I, I mean, my uh, my mother like told me when I was younger, she was like, "You better toughen up because mm-hmm. the world, if you think things are tough now." Hmm. Just wait till you get older, like, and, and, you know, as I got older, I saw what she was talking about, but I think that like some of it, I think is weakness, but another part of it is, I think people just realize it's easier to take the, the other route of doing what you're told instead of pushing back and, and making enemies. And, and that's really sad, um, mm-hmm. but that's the reality of the situation for a lot of people in Congress. And that's something that even Cynthia McKinney admitted to that, like, at the end of the day, most of them are not going to do it. They're not willing to go to the mat. Well, I mean, well, Chris Hayes just said it. He said that, that you know, that these are not our best. Okay. They're not, they're venal. They're always going to take the path of least resistance and they're always going to follow the money. Mm-hmm. I have had higher expectations, not only for AOC, but for other members of the squad. But at the end of the day, evidently, that's just part of being a politician. I'm going to let you go. Mm -hmm. But understand, like I said, everybody keep in mind, that's your seat. Whether it's in Congress or the county commission or the school board. That's your seat. They just sitting in it. And just like they used to tell people in the army, those stripes, they sold on. They ain't growed on. They ain't growed to that seat. And you got to let them know that you will take them out that seat any time you want. And with that, I'm going to let y'all go. Y'all have a good night. Thank you so much, Delthea. That's right. I think sometimes some of us feel like they they're supposed to be in that spot that we owe it to them. We really don't if they're not doing their job. <laughs> we really don't if they are not doing their damn job. Let's go ahead and bring in Colin. You are next on the mic. What's up, Colin? How are you doing, Savvy? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Um, I will say I didn't watch the stream with when you had Kashama on because I was busy working on clips for INN. But so I have to go back and watch it. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But my initial thoughts are ones of cautious optimism because I immediately when she announces, when I saw your announcement earlier tonight, I just thought of our Black revolutionary leaders who emphasize the idea, especially Kwame Ture and people who watch INN News with me know, I love Kwame Ture and what he's talked about in terms of organization. Like, you know, that's the way that you get stuff done is if you're involved in an organization. We've seen that with MLK, we've seen that with Malcolm X, we've seen that with the Black Panthers, we've seen that in Kwame Ture, we've seen that in Angela Davis. So to me, in my mind, Kashama is moving in the ways of our revolutionary Black leaders who 
started organizations as a way to elevate the consciousness within their communities, but also to elevate the issues that are within those communities into higher positions of power. And so I feel like, at least right now, based on just this initial announcement, that Kashama is kind of moving in that tradition. So for me, it's kind of like, and I don't know Kashama like that, but it feels like she's kind of recognizing the need of elevating the working class and our needs to the point outside of politics, which is what we desperately need. And I know you've talked about this a lot on your show. Um, but I'm excited because Kashama is principled in terms of how she ran or is running for um, as far as what she's been doing in um, in Seattle. And if anything, she'll be a lot stronger in terms that she's not connected to politics in that way, that she's able to involve herself with the people more actively, which is what we need right now. We need more people who are willing to be on the ground to kind of elevate our issues. And I think Kashama is definitely that person that has the capability to do that. So just initially, I am, obviously I have to go back and watch that stream to kind of hear more of what she was saying, but I'm very excited that she's moving in this direction. And it makes a lot of sense to me in light of knowing our history and just knowing how within the Black community we were able to push for change that she's moving in that direction. So I'm very excited. I totally feel you on that because my whole thing is, is that finally something that is not attached to a political campaign. Right. It's not attached to an election cycle. Like just people needed something else. It's just, we're tired of having these types of strategies done through campaign process and then they lose and it's gone or they win and they don't push for those things anyway. Right. right. So I think like the fact that this is a worker movement. So the name of the movement is called worker workers fight back. And they already have the website implemented. They already have a list of demands on the website, uh, which I think is, is very important. We've seen these kinds of uh, movements or organizations before fall apart because they didn't have a list of demands. It was just like, okay, you're going to do this and then what? And the fact that she's willing to take that extra step, she's willing to take that leap that Bernie Sanders wasn't willing to take that still to this day is not willing to take if we want to be real right uh, that she's willing to focus on something that is solely for the workers and not about uh who's a part of which party and 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 going into DC and all of that jazz to me it really speaks volumes because that right there tells me this is someone who is a woman of her word Mm -hmm. So she meant what she said. And you can't just go by what people say. You have to go by their actions. And so Bernie right. Sanders said a lot of great things about elevating the working class. But when it came time for it at the end of the day, what did his actions show us? Right. And I think for me, like, especially, I think this week um, I might read something on this online where somebody said, 
you know, in terms of, you know, politicians that really they should be starting from the local level and have a very clear track record of what they've done on the local level in order to be elevated into higher positions of government, whether it be state or federal. And I totally agree with that. I think the problem is right now we have people who are going into Congress, you know, and they say the right things, but they not necessarily had the background and really working with grassroots organizations in particular to really hone in on those skill sets in terms of really working for the people that they just go in and we have no knowledge necessarily of what they are and what they've been capable of doing. We just somewhat, somehow we have to accept them on their word and they go into Congress and they end up being trash. Um, but I think the difference, as you said, with Kashama, we know of her track record. Like we can look at what she's been able to do in Seattle and kind of translate that into, okay, based on what she's done, this will translate well in, in terms of her, you know, leading this organization. And the fact that, you know, um, as Ms. Sophia said earlier, the fact that, you know, AOC said this, she said, I would rather be a one-term congresswoman and get something done, you know, than, you know, being there forever and not being able to do anything. Honestly, really, if AOC had any balls, like she would have left already. That's right. You know, because I know from what Athene said to me, you know, when she talked with AOC, you know, she mentioned the idea of like she would rather, you know, be on the ground and do activism that way. And I'm like, AOC, you can't. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you have money the, in that, you have, though. Right, right. <laughs> but is it about the money or is it about working for the people? That's the question. So, Given that right there, AOC is very clear of what how AOC has made her stand in terms of she's looking for the money, she's looking for the celebrity, and more importantly, she's looking out for herself in terms of how she's going to benefit, you know, in terms of her being in Congress. You know, so essentially, you know, she, you know, she sold us out for her own survival, basically. Whereas Kashama it is kind of the opposite of that, you know, she can very easily stay in city council. Um, she has proven herself to be a formidable, you know, councilwoman, and especially in terms of how corporate corporations have gone against her as she's won many times, but she's saying, I don't need to do that. I'd rather not do that. I'd rather work for the people. So in a lot, in a lot of ways that to me speaks to her character, her being willing to do that. Um, when she really doesn't have to, shows how principled she is. But I think she's also realizing the urgency of what is needed right now, especially among the working class that has been so beaten down. I think especially within the last year, we've kind of seen this. Like, mm -hmm. we need that spark right now. And so, as I said, I, I'm excited to watch the clip to hear more of what she said to you. But my initial thoughts are, you know, like, especially in independent media, you know, like, she's well respected. And so I trust her and I trust her that she's able to kind of continue to be principled in having the right people around her to assure. And she's kind of proven that as far as um, socialist alternative, you know, that 
and she said this on your stream. She's like, this is not about me. This is about we. And, right. and I love that. It's like, it's not about, and I mean, Bernie said that, but you know, um, but her actions proven that it's about the people versus herself. So my only hope is that she's able to kind of continue that and connect herself with the right people in order to make her organization like viable and flourish. But given her background, I know she's principled enough that she's able to do that. So I just hope she's able to continue to maintain that. 100%. And we'll see who tries to be naysayers of this, because for all the people who say they're for the workers and workers' rights, let's see them try to take this down. Let's see them try to like speak neg uh, negatively you know, about this. And then you'll see who's really bout about it, right? Right. right. Okay, Savvy, um, I'll let other people talk to you, but um, have a good night. You too, Colin. Thanks so much for calling in. All right, I'm going to pivot to uh, Noel. You are a speaker. I want to get your take on this about what uh, Shama said and this uh, this new organization here. Good evening, everybody. Um, I echo the sentiments of Colin. Um, this is the right direction. You know, I've said on many occasions that the socialist alternative has the right model for the moment. Um, the difference um, we have seen with people like Bernie and AOC is Bernie had been in the political realm for the entirety of his career. So we knew he had the wherewithal to do it. And he spoke eloquently to the people's needs in that he recognized them. But when it came time to engage, he backed down. We have the next version in AOC who comes up and she sees the needs, she recognizes the needs of the people and she will articulate. But as soon as she enters the belly of the beast, she gets co-opted. And then she comes back um, in hindsight and tries to rationalize it. What we see in the socialist alternative as it speaks to uh, putting Shama forward is that they're working as an organization, as a collective. They understand the fight. They've been in the fight in Seattle. And as Colin said, they have won several times. So the difference is Shama speaks to the people on their needs, which is different from speaking to the people about their needs and recognizing she understands that all power is to the people. And I see this movement as an opportunity to organize that power and mobilize it. And her character speaks for itself. And the thing that I appreciate about her so much is she can take on all comers. She can demystify the argument. She calls you out. And as I um, posted earlier, clarity is key. And she speaks in one voice. She says what she means. She means what she says. She'll call you out. And I believe as she begins to move forward and elevate in this space to the national level and develop that national personality that we all know she will earn, she is not to be given to all sorts of foolishness. I don't think there's any type of enticements or inducements that the establishment off can offer her because she is clear that she is about the needs of the people. 
And she has a demonstrated track record to do that. So I really believe um, this movement can really be the flashpoint to organize and harness the power of the people and give them the mobilization techniques they need. I think a lot of us would like to do things, but we don't have the organization, we don't have the time, and frankly, we don't have the skill set to do some of the things that are within our aspirations. But she brings that and she puts the people first. Mm -hmm. And that will be the difference in this movement and the integrity, the integrity, the integrity to just do what you say. And once you get the people motivated to direct them, and I believe if a third political party does not emerge from this movement, this movement could have the potential power to really be a takeover of the Democratic Party and this and that, because once people know that you mean it, and once you get the masses organized, they will take you down. And like she said, I appreciated what she said. If AOC and the squad would wake up and come to terms, we will welcome them with open arms. See, that's that no nonsense type of leadership that you need. And it's like, we're asking you out for all eternity if you want to get on board get on board but we're not going to be fooling with no foolishness and either you're going <laughs> to march this way or you're going to keep it moving so i think this is i am i have hope i have optimism and i'm just you know waiting to see what i can do you know in my own space to be of some assistance Yes, that's that's another reason why I'm really excited about this is because Shama said, like, fill out the petition and we'll tell you how you can have, you know, a launch in your city as well. So this solves that problem that some of us have had before where, like, we didn't have a chapter of an organization like in our city or even in our state, so to speak. Um, this kind of solves that that issue, right? Like something somewhere near you. Like I'm pretty sure we'll have one here in Boston, but I'm going to fill out that form uh, regardless. But not everybody lives next to a, you know, large metropolitan area. Some people like in rural America are, are lost because they don't, unfortunately, even some of the political organizations don't operate uh, in rural America. And that's unfortunate, but that's kind of what it's become. It's like if you're not near one of those major cities, you're kind of just left to the wolves, so to speak. That's, that's what it seems like. And I'll tell you another thing I appreciated that she made clear um, is that this is a fight. When she was responding to AOC's um, expressions about, you know, this can be a bloodbath. Um, I don't want to, you know, she was concerned about reputation and hurt feelings and relationships. Shama understands that this is a fight. She said, oh, no, it's not like my reelections were easily won. The way we knew we were on to the right thing is because we are fighting. And I remembered um, the quote from Frederick Douglas, who says power concedes nothing. So we cannot be rose eyed and think we're going to walk into change this nation without fight, because these people, like I say, they never sleep. It's mm -hmm. just like the devil. And you have to know, 
you're going to get some battle scars. You're going to have to break some situations. They're not going to be easy relationships. It's not going to be an easy piece because you are coming for them. And so for AOC to be saying, oh, you know, we did, we discussed some things in the background and this and that. But at the end of the day, honey, nothing you talked about or lobbied for came to pass. So your <laughs> labor has been in vain. And mm -hmm. so it's easy to come and say, well, we do the same type of things behind closed doors. Oh, you know, be pleased. It's and, to, how, it's, oh. and how can we even believe it? We're not in those rooms behind those closed doors. We don't even know exactly. if she's telling the truth. And why was she the only one to put out this statement? You guys notice, like, immediately she rushed to put out a video on Instagram. By the time I showed it to you guys, the video had already been posted at least about 24 hours before I showed it to you. So just FYI. But she rushed immediately. Let me go out there to Instagram and respond. And so so my fans think that I'm still fighting for them. Nobody else did that. I didn't see Rashida Tlaib, Corey Bush, the rest of them put out any video. That was her. And you see, amongst that whole squad group, AOC has the most recognizable reputation. And I think she's very political in the sense that she understands she had to get out there ahead of that. And she recognized that there was that comparison between what the um, Freedom Caucus was doing and what the squad did not do. So she's trying to stay out ahead of that because she wants to maintain that premium reputation thing out in the public sphere. So she's she's shown us who she is. It's up to us to believe her. That's right. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Mason. But I want to tell you guys that clip I was showing tonight is from Case Study QB. It's on Case's uh, Twitter page. Go look at the comments underneath that tweet. <laughs> they, people were not buying it. They're not buying it. What's going on, Mason? Welcome. Hi, Savvy. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Actually, um, I want to preface what I'm about to say um, with the fact that I would support, this is a little, a little bit off topic, but I would support Marianne Williamson primarying Biden. I want to start that off just so people kind of know where I'm coming from, because I'm a strong believer in the fact that we need to be fighting this class struggle on all fronts. On Like we cannot leave a single channel um, untouched because like we need to be in every single possible way we can. But I think the most important thing is what Chama is trying to do and the local level. Um, I, I think that like the worker solidarity is number one. And I think what, what she has done um, and what, what her people and what her team has done is so important because it shows that her city council district, it's a hundred thousand people. Yep. It's just one city council district. It's a hundred thousand people. My entire County is a hundred thousand people. So uh, one of my city council districts is 3,500 people where I live. This is something that can be replicated in every single city in America, in America, in every single town in America, every single county in America. This is something that like can be done like with the electoral system and outside of the electoral system. And that's why I, I respect her so much because she didn't have the votes in the city council, you know? They, they didn't go in with uh, seven socialist alternative members in the city council. Nope. nope. Um, what it took was that that outside organizing and and it was both of those things it was her seat on the city council which was a an iteration of the people um through her and then on the other side you had all the organizers and all the people on her team and like 
uh, I only uh, made the tail end of your interview with her. But when she said it, it, it isn't about me, it's about we. It's about the people that um, it took to get there. Because if it was just her, she wouldn't have been able to get the results that she wanted um, and that the people in Seattle needed. So I, I really do think um, it's something that we should all take notes from. And it's something we should all try to replicate where we live. And I'm really, really optimistic about this this website and this plan um, that that she's put all her energy in. I think it's a very, very telling sign as to what her motives are when she decided to step down to do this. Um, she's she's all about this. This is her number one priority. I think it's very important. You know, Mason, you just mentioned something um, that you brought to my attention. You guys notice how Mason mentioned that she stepped down. So this is another thing I want you to pay attention to. She was willing, she's willing to step down from her position to do this movement. How many people, how many politicians are willing to do that today? Not many, right? Like, th isn't this what we expected someone like Bernie or AOC and them to do? Like, if things weren't working out, step down from your position and work and fight with people on the outside. She's willing to do that. Another thing about her, too, that I think is really important to note, she refused to accept the full salary for a city councilor. She only took a portion of it. And how many people are willing to do that? And, and by the way, Shama Sawan is not someone who's rich. <laughs> so she was only willing to take a portion of it. How many people are willing to do that? But Mason, I'm curious, when you say you'll be supporting Marianne Williamson because we need to fight on all fronts, are you referring to like a uh, national fight as well as local and outside game? Well, Just yeah, curious. and I feel like that, that national fight, I feel like at that level, like national, local, state, whatever. And there's also the idea of being in and outside of the Democratic Party. And I think um, this is something I haven't heard, but Noel mentioned it, um, how Shama said, if the squad wants to uh, get their act together, they're welcome to. And and that's something that I, I think more people need to be open to, just because I feel like there are a lot of good people, like people I know personally, people in my family, who are totally on board for these things. These are working class people but they're so ingrained in that they're a Democrat or a Republican that it's super hard to reach them otherwise. And like, mm. it's to the point where people who are all down for these causes, but they say, well, like they're so ingrained and they're so indoctrinated to the idea that like you have to support these two things and these two party system. And it, I, I think that like being aware of that while also criticizing it from the outside is like very important. And I think somebody like Marianne offers a little bit different of an approach that Bernie had. She doesn't have a Senate seat to lose. Um, she's already been vilified by the system more than Bernie has. We saw how she was treated in 2020. And I think um, something that is very different about her is she criticized Bernie for not having the same approach as Trump. She said, um, actually on an interview today, she reiterated on the Vanguard, I think, um, that something that Bernie did wrong was he didn't like Trump made the promise that, well, I'm not going to promise to not run third party because it depends on how the party treats me. And then Bernie, who was treated horribly, he didn't make that promise, you know, and she criticized right. him for that. So 
I mean, she's not perfect. She has flaws. Uh, I'm not going to claim that she's the saint and that she's, um, she's the best person out there because I'm sure that there's somebody who has all these perfect policy and all those things. But I think that the fact that she's willing to be open to the idea of running third party is like a big step in the right direction for somebody um, in her. Oh, oh, so wait a minute, Mason. She said she's she's open well, to she's it. She's criticized Bernie for not doing it um, today on, on that article um, or not in that article. In that interview, she said basically that the, the right answer to that question is it depends on how you treat me. Um, and, and you can come back and criticize me for this later if she decides not to. Um, mm. but it, it's definitely something that I would look into a little bit more with her because she's the most open to that idea out of anyone I've ever seen. Um, she reiterated, she reiterated the fact that the reason we got social security was because of the socialist party. Um, the reason why we got women's suffrage because of the suffrage party, the reason why we got the abolition of slavery was because of the abolitionist party. Um, that's not something you typically hear from somebody who's running in a democratic primary. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I might be a little bit optimistic and a little bit naive, but that's my. That's think, true. I, I was just, I'll pass it to you, Noel, really quick. I was just going to say that I've interviewed Marianne twice. Um, I, like I said before, she's good on some issues and some issues she needs, she really needs to work on her foreign policy. Her foreign policy takes have been off the rails. Uh, that's a big one for me because that's uh, that's an area where the president can act alone. They don't necessarily need the approval of Congress. So that's that's a big one for me. She does support reparations, which I do agree with that. I've, I've had a whole like 30 minute discussion with her on my channel about that and the need for that. And she's actually done the research unlike some other people. Um, but I, I think for me, it's it's not even so much of it's Marianne Williamson. It's more so the issue if you're running in the two-party system, I can't rock with you because I know that both of those parties are corporate. And even though she may have all these great intentions, everybody has those great intentions until they get in and then they get in and they're not able to act upon uh, those beliefs that they had when they were running as a candidate. So for me, it's not even about the person per se, it's the system that they're going into. And I can see that system. First of all, there's a couple differences here I wanna point out. When you look at Bernie Sanders running against Joe Biden in 2020, the biggest difference is that at that point in time, there was a Republican in the White House. So this time around, if Marianne ran against Joe Biden through the Democratic Party, she would be running against the president of the United States, who is a Democrat, as a Democrat. So she she is going to get, if this happens, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I did see that she has an exploratory committee. If this happens, she's going to get hella vilified. If, if we think that Bernie was vilified and Bernie was smeared, they're really going to come after Marianne Williamson because they're going to say, how dare you try to split up the Democrat vote? You already have a Democrat politician in the White House. How dare you come? And she would split the split up the vote because some people would just support her and some people would support Joe Biden. And if Joe Biden were to lose and a Republican won, everybody's going to be pointing their fingers at Marianne Williamson. So she is going to have a tougher challenge to face, uh, I think. 
But also too, like when I'm talking about like workers' rights and worker movements and things like that, I don't want a millionaire president. I don't want a millionaire for president. I don't want a billionaire for president. I just don't. Like I just, this classist system that we have in this country and JB and I talked about this earlier tonight on RBN, it has to go. Like people need to see something different. Like when we point to someone like Barack Obama, yes, Barack Obama, first black president, yada, yada. But even in the classist system, Barack Obama does not identify with the working class because he's not from it. So those people were still left behind. So for me, it's like, I don't want a millionaire to be president. That's that's my take on it. But not try to like, you know, yell at you, Mason. Just get my points out there. Go ahead, Noah. Um, Two points I wanted to make. Um, when we speak about the humility in terms of Shama stepping down, it brought to consciousness, you know, recently Jacinda Ardern, who was the president of New Zealand, recently stepped down. She announced that she would not be running again um, because she just knew for what the job required. She just doesn't have it anymore to give. So when we mentioned that Shama was saying, you know, I'm stepping down and it's really the socialist alternative collective decision is the reason why they're not pursuing that office again and they're doing this other thing. So I wanted to speak to that. We do see an emergence of leaders and it's interesting to me that they're female who are demonstrating the humility saying, I'm not gonna do this, maybe we'll do that. But the other point I wanted to make is that, um, oh, I just lost my thought. The other point I wanted to make is how Shama indicates that, you know, it is the collective people. And it's going to be interesting in terms of Mason's willingness to support Marianne. It is going to be interesting and telling to see how Marianne Williamson positions herself in accordance with this movement that Shama is doing. If you are really about the people, we have a baseline now through the um socialist alternative that Shama will be working through and either Marianne Williamson will come forward and be full supportive and this and that and move into that full throated or she will be tepid and those are the signs I would be looking to see to determine whether I could be supportive of A, B or C that Marianne is doing because we know that the democratic machine is a big, a gigantic juice extractor. Both of the parties are, and they connect up together and turn into one huge extractor. So it'll be interesting for me to see how Marianne Williamson responds to this movement that Shama and the Socialist Alternative will be. Well said. Uh, Mason, what's your take on that? I mean, I would agree with that. I, I think that that um, could be a really telling thing. Um, and, and I do think that there are a lot of things um, that Marianne's going to be tested on if she does run. I think there's going to be a lot of things um, that she faces and uh, a lot of hard questions that people are going to ask her. And I think it's important. Um, I also just want to say that I think if for nothing else, just to have somebody debate Biden that isn't a Republican, I think that that would be pretty cool just in general just just to ask some questions like she criticized him for the railroad worker um the 
uh, strike busting legislation. She criticized him on this. She might not be perfect, but it will be interesting to see him have to debate somebody um, at whatever cognitive stage he's at <laughs> right I now. I don't think, honestly, knowing the system, I don't think they're going to let her debate Joe Biden. You don't think so? I don't think so. I, I think that that's a valid, um, a valid take. They'll, because, the closer uh, she gets to the threshold, they can change the, because we saw them do this with the 2020 Democratic primaries. They'll mm -hmm. change the rules so that she doesn't have to debate him. The reason why I say that is because Joe Biden is not his strongest right now. Like yeah. Joe Biden, like cognitively, let's let's be real, okay? Joe Biden making up stories saying he used to go to black church every Sunday or every morning before school. Joe Biden with no black church every morning before school. Come on, like he's making up lies. He's telling stories about his past that have been debunked. Joe Biden is not at his strongest right now. And the last thing I think that they would want is for somebody to debate Joe Biden on the on the left, at least on the Democrat side, because mm -hmm. it's going to show how weak he is. And then if Joe Biden were to see this, is the thing they don't want someone further left of Joe Biden to actually win. That's why Bernie Sanders even said so himself that he would only run if Joe Biden doesn't run, because even Bernie Sanders, no, they don't want him to take Joe Biden's spot because Joe Biden is the the status quo. That's who they want there. So the thing yep. is, I don't think they would let Marianne debate Joe Biden. And if she doesn't get to debate him, she has no chance of winning. None. Well, see, this is how I feel about that. That's and call me naive, call me uh, optimistic. But I think at that point, if they don't let her debate, I think it, it it's highly possible that she could run third party, you know, or run independent and say they're not letting me debate. I, I'm not working with the Democratic Party, you know. But then you do that out the gate. I mean, you know, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I like, yeah, it's one of those things where you'd have to wait and see. But my thing is, is like, look, you're you're either out of the two party system or you're in the two party system. And here's the thing. Remember, when Bernie ran in order to qualify, you have to sign those paperwork saying that you will support whoever the eventual nominee is. And that will be the telling point. If Marianne refuses and says, oh, I'm not going along with that. I saw what happened twice with Bernie, this and that. That is because by the time the reality materializes in real time, they've already got the commitments that they want. So either you're going to buck them in the beginning and there will be a fight before you even be accepted as a candidate in the primary, which will be telling, or you're going to bow and then they will allow you to, you know, be like a Bernie and use you as a sheepdog to harness that leftward energy and corral them into the tent. But if they cannot get that type of commitment out of you going forward, they're not going to let you be in the, in the position to destabilize Biden. And the reality yeah. is Biden is, you know, cognitively challenged at this point. But let's be clear, Biden has a history of lying when he was at his peak. So he is a weakened um, a cognitively weakened liar, but he's always been a liar. That's right. That That's 100% true. I mean, I really think for, and not just Marianne, anyone that's running through the Democratic Party that's going to try to primary challenge Joe Biden, I really think they're going to make it so that that candidate cannot debate Joe Biden because they, they already know Joe Biden's bad. Like, every, they already know, like, he's experiencing cognitive decline, right? 
they don't want that displayed on the debate stage. And I know he has some issues debating in 2020, but he's worse now. Have you guys noticed that? Like it's worse now. They just showed the video of him and Raphael Warnock. They were at a black church. Ebenezer. And Ebenezer Black Church. That's right. For MLK Day. And everybody's standing around clapping and dancing, singing, all that kind of stuff. And Warnock was clapping and stuff, too. When he's looking at Joe Biden, Joe Biden was just standing there, like staring at the people. That was the weirdest thing to me. I'm like, even if you, well, even if you don't have rhythm, it was just weird. Like, he was. You go to these black churches all these years, you would have some. I was like, does this look like someone that went to a black church every morning before school? Come on now. I don't think so. I don't think so. But he, but Mason, oh, go ahead, Mason. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to speak to a couple of the comments that I'm seeing. I just want to make it clear that I will not be voting for the Democratic person if it's Kamala Harris, if it's Biden. Uh, I'm probably going to vote third party in 2024. So I just want to make that clear to everybody who's commenting on that. What I say is, if you read the tea leaves and the cues, I think the Democratic establishment wants rid of Joe Biden, and but they have to do it in a way that is, you know, according to the taste and values or whatever. They don't want him. They don't want Kamala. I think they want Pete Buttigieg because he would fill the um, diversity and inclusion box but he would also be a willing puppet in the continuation of the war machine and the military industrial complex. So this thing we hear about his, you know, he had documents, you know, um, and things of this nature. I think that is the establishment trying to ready him to move to the left. And, and then they'll get Kamala to say, oh, I'm not interested. So they can put in who they want. That would be a doozy, too, if that were to happen. Go ahead, Eric. Well, so here's a question for you. What do we want? Not Joe. <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I guess yeah. I, I feel like we're we're kind of playing on their on their turf, you know, with all these questions about, you know, should it be this person or that person or Marianne in, in the party or not. And I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to get us to be a, a left movement that's more about, you know, what do we want? You know, what, what are we demanding? And not, not even worry about the personalities and the individuals at this point. You know, that, that's why for me it starts with demands. We're not even toying with the notion here in this space about supporting these people. We're just speaking to what those um, moments unfold and what they look like in as much as Mason raised the issue of potentially so, um, supporting Marianne. But I am so clear that that whole democratic and establishment thing is no way forward. And your idea with the specific demands as a basis for building consensus and this and that, I'm all there, uh, you know? So when we talk about, oh, what the establishment wants and what they may or may not be attempting to do, that's um, strictly just speculation. It's not like we're trying to support or endorse any of it. Now, I, I hear you. 
I guess what I'm what I'm suggesting or, or showing out there is is maybe when we when we do that, then we follow it up with, and this is what we demand. This is what we need as the real left, and not just be about all the things we hate, which are myriad. Agree. I personally don't hate Marianne. Like I've said, I've interviewed her twice. I just don't agree with the strategy. And I think that, you know, when we talk about what we want, I think most of us on the left, and maybe not even just the left, we want health care for everybody in this country, right? Like we want, at this point, it should be past a $15 minimum wage because it's, we're, we're past that now. Uh, according to Richard Wolf, it should be like $35 an hour. If we're talking about minimum wage to adjust for inflation. Um, so I think most of us on the left, we know the things that we want. The problem is how to get those things implemented. Through yeah, I was going to say that's, that's the next question. Yeah, because yeah, unfortunately, you have to pass legislation. That's what holds things up, at least on the national level. That's unfortunate, but that's how it is. So then what's stopping that from happening? What's the core problem? The politicians are voting against it and the politicians vote against it because they're owned by corporate money. So again, you, you have to get corporate money out of electoral politics. And addition, well, then shouldn't that be our focus as a left movement? The power yeah, that is nobody... the people has not been properly organized and mobilized. That's the issue that Shama is bringing forward. And those are the issues right. that you speak to. So that ultimately the problem why we cannot have these things, the um, politicians are just an intermediate piece. The real issue is the masses have not been sufficiently organized and mobilized to make the instrumentation of government work for them. That's the fundamental problem. Right. And that's what Shama's trying to do. And it's, and it's happening Outside of the U.S., these things are already happening. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. France and the U.K. are partnering up to fight against increases in minimum, excuse me, increases in uh, the retirement age and other things that's happening in their countries. Listen to this. Two countries have decided to partner up to fight back against the political, the political sphere. You don't even you can't even get like in the United States, we have difficulty getting two states to partner up and do something. So the fact that you have two countries doing that, that is huge. So I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. But I think Shama's uh, organization here, I think she has the right idea. And I think this could be a path forward. We have to organize the workers beyond starting a union. And that's why I said even last year, I think it's great that all of these, these companies, all these employees are trying to unionize. I, I applaud that. I think it's great. But then what is the next step? You know, because not everybody can do that. And that's that's the piece where it's like you see like these wins that are happening in the labor movement. But then you also see union leaders turn against the union members and not uh, ask for the things that they're asking for uh, and to ask for the things that benefit their position so that they can keep those management positions that they're in. Uh, so I think we need to go a step further. You have to mobilize people on a national level for a workers' movement, and that's what Shama's trying to do, and I think that's really what needs to happen. But Mason, uh, do you have anything else? And then I want to bring in um, Lucy. Uh, no, I just wanted to add that I, I'm fully on board with what Shama's doing, 100%. 
Um, I just think that it could be a missed opportunity in some places if, if you're not um, putting something up uh, or opposition to Biden at all fronts. Uh, again, I do plan to vote third party in 2024. So I just want to make that clear. You guys have a great Awesome. Thank you so much for calling in, Mason. Lucy, what's your take on all of this? How do you feel about this organization? Okay, so um, I have a few thoughts, um, some positive and some doubts. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I, I want to come at it with a place of respect because, you know, we, we haven't been, like, Shama is, has been one of the most effective people um in local office and i have a lot of respect for her and i think she's very well placed to lead this if that makes sense so i'm i'm very happy about that um but um i uh after the after your show like i really like listening to her speak and i was on board but then i went to sign the petition and i saw the five demands and it did give me a little bit of pause. And I don't want that to come across like I'm poo-pooing or anything like that. Um, I just want to share some of my doubts, if that's okay. Um, so um, um, my first doubt is that um, uh, the second, there's five demands, right? There's workers need a real raise, good union jobs for all, fight racism, sexism, and all oppression, quality affordable housing, and free health care for all, and um, no more sellouts, we need a new party. So, like, generally, I agree with that, all of that. Um, I do think, you know, any kind of third-party independent movement is good, um, even if it's not perfect. Um but there are some things that give me pause, like, for example, in the second, um, the second demand, uh, they talk about green jobs, but they never talk about cutting the military budget. The, like the U.S. military is the biggest polluter in the world. And that's actually very similar to the platform that AOC had um, when she came in with all of these ideas about green jobs. But she really took, you know, when she was running, she really didn't talk that much about foreign policy. And then when she was in a position of where, where she actually had to vote on international kinds of issues, we really hadn't vetted that at the local level. Um, so I think that in that sense, the whole, you know, her whole thing with, you know, Green New Deal for public housing thing wasn't that effective as messaging. I think you got to hit the foreign policy. It's really important right now, especially because, you know, we're, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're coming up onto World War Five at this point. Um, and I think it's a mistake to not point out that it's just not there. Um, so, you know, it Can might I not just... be there strategically mm -hmm. or just to keep it simple. I don't know. I I'm just saying that it's not there. I think that is a part of Socialist Alternatives platform. I have to go back and look at the website. I think it is. So that could be something. Because here's the thing. Like, what you see on the website doesn't mean that this is necessarily set in stone, right? For example, Eric has his 11 demands. Eric has added things to it as time has gone by. So what I would recommend is fill out the petition anyway. 
and get involved in the movement. And that could be something that is recommended, you know? Um, but I do know, if I remember correctly, I think Socialist Alternative does have that as part of their their platform about um, the military budget and the wars and things like that. So I, I, I would imagine that that would be a part of this too. But it sounds like, like based on what I saw on the website, when I mentioned the five demands, it seems like they were just trying to keep it simple so far. And maybe they'll go into more detail later. But yeah, I would recommend go ahead and fill out the petition and then bring that up. That should be something that you should bring up because you're 100% correct about that. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, like, it might just be that they want to keep it simple and not get into the weeds too much. And, I, you know, even, for example, like, even if they accomplish none of this stuff on international whatever, and it was just an initial attempt at some kind of third party, I still think that's, like, enough to support it um but that gives me a little pause and then the second thing that gives me a little pause is number three um where uh it's like a general ask and it says fight racism sexism and all oppression um and you know i know that she's like was a part of socialist alternative and dsa but to me i personally at this point like I don't I, like I feel like you just need to do the ask like if you want reparations just ask for reparations if you want land back you know more funding for domestic violence shelters whatever name the problem you know um but when it's like fight all the isms and phobias in my experience at least you know around a lot of these like <laughs> social justice people um I don't want it to end up in, 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 in that's exactly my point, Natalie. I, I know I'm nitpicking a little bit, but I feel like those kinds of very general platforms, like fighting the, all the isms and phobias, they end up in nitpicking because- So you, you yeah, you basically, you want the, plat, the platform to be more specific. Yeah, I feel like if the platform is more specific, like if you want to fight racism, Okay, but I don't want it to be a party that, that, you know, ends up being like, you know, which I've seen on the left. You know, somebody makes a bad jo joke and then it's like, oh, this person's sexist, it's over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's kick them out of the movement. What, what you want to, you should just like state the position. You want more funding for domestic violence shelters. You want reparations, whatever. I'd much prefer that um, than for people to have a platform that's like fight all of the isms and phobias not be specific and then you're gonna have people you know like arguing about you know it, like the point is like to just put the specific platform on you know because i've seen things fall apart when the ask is like very general mm -hmm. and then um uh you know I don't know if that makes sense. Then it ends up being like a personality battle and culture war when you haven't been specific about what your ask is. And then you're saying, oh, I want a party that fights racism and sexism and homophobia. And we have this guy here that's, you know, uh, a little bit homophobic and we're not going to include him. And then eventually you okay. start like eliminating people because of all of their, you know, whatever conservative view they might have. So I've seen that. And I just wanted to. <laughs> that makes, um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because I, I know on the Socialist Alternative website, when they talk about fighting racism, one of the things that they mention is defunding the police. 
like they have specific details about it, like the things that should go along with it. So I hear what you're saying. Well, they did mention that. So that's a positive that they, they talked about the police departments in the third point. Um, so they did mention that. So that's a good thing. Um, but they should do that with all of their position, more of their positions. Um, anyway, that's it. I, I don't want to poo poo it. I'm just like bringing, bringing it up because I, I find like I, uh, my first intuition sometimes is correct. And then when I overthink it and later I'm like, wait, I noticed that in the beginning, you know, but I didn't say it. So that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> no, this is, this is all good to hear. Like, this is a chance for all of us to kind of like brainstorm and give feedback, you know, like there's no such thing as a, well, I would say there's no such thing as a perfect platform. So there's always room for improvement. So those are good things to hear, Lucy. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Shama would be, you know, uh, she would really welcome the feedback, you know, because, because again, remember, I, I do want to add to, because I, I think I've been saying this all night. Uh, this is not just Shama Sawant's thing. Like it's, it's a group. It's a group of them. So some of the people from Socials Alternative decided to do this together. So uh, she is yeah. one that's from a Marxist organization. So she is used to like, listen, what's best for the group. It has to be a group um, opinion. It has to be a group vote and a collective. It can't just be like, this is what, this is my organization and this is what I want. So I think she would be welcome to that feedback. Okay, well, I hope so anyway, but anyway, that's it. I'll just leave it to the next person. <laughs> this could actually be a really good roundtable. Like, I'm actually curious to hear what, uh, when she has this discussion with Chris, because I, I believe she probably will be going back onto his show on Real News Network. When she has this discussion with Chris, it'll be interesting to hear uh, his suggestions and recommendations too. So, yeah. And I think we should also keep the overarching objective within sight. This is workers fight back. So this is an attempt to organize the workers. And so it's really an introduction on a national level to who the socialist alternative is. And I think those broad statements like we're against all these isms is the organization saying as it introduces itself, we are not in support of these things. These things that have been used to divide the workers in terms of being organized, we want to state up front that we do not support these things and whatever they manifest as we are against them. And so I think, you know, specificity, you know, it's, it's never a bad thing. Um, but when you're first making that broad introduction on a national level, I think people are looking for cues for who you are and what your values are. And as to number five, when she says, um, we need a new party. She's they're giving an indication of what their end game might be. That's so right. I think, you know, and knowing who Shama is in her political persona, as Savvy suggested, I'm sure she can redress these issues instantly. And she's clear about these things. And so either there's an opportunity to add the specificity or she can explain to you why they chose as an organization to leave it broad in some place. Yeah. And maybe I can bring her back on again. Cause tonight, like, by the way, guys, it was kind of last minute. Like I had already planned to discuss, uh, to discuss uh, her responding to AOC. And then I heard that announcement earlier today that she was leaving her position as Seattle city councilor and that she was going to start um, like a workers uh, movement 
And so I tweeted about it. And then one of the members from Socialist Alternative saw my tweet and then contacted me and said, would you be interested in having her on for this discussion if you're talking about it tonight? So it was kind of last minute just to, get, to give you guys an idea. Uh, go ahead, Michael. Welcome. What's up? What's up? Hey, Shabby. Hey, how you doing? I am doing great. How are you? Uh, not bad. Just trying to uh, just trying to keep myself uh, healthy and strong. But uh, I just uh, I noticed that uh, today with um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kasima Sawan. I know she's very bold. Uh, she's very strategic, and she's a very good uh, communicator because she understands what's happening inside out, which I think is very important because a lot of today's uh, uh, today's progressives and modern Democrats. They work in tandem to they work in hand in hand together, and sometimes the progressives I notice from my observation reading, uh, reading them, they do a good job of downplaying racism and white supremacy, right? And so I have an issue with uh, progressives and modern Democrats not supporting uh, caste reparations because we had to go back in U.S. history because black people built this country from bottom. Uh, to top. If we weren't for black people today, America would not exist. And so, so what you said earlier about Bernie Sanders, about he was not a bad person because he didn't support reparations. And I will say this: let me be a let me be blunt. When someone does not support reparations for African descendants of slavery, they are purely racist. They are. I don't care how you how I don't care how you how you like how you assess a statement or you criticize me, that's fine because. Wait, why do you, wait one second. Why do you say that, Michael? I'm just curious. About why, why if someone who doesn't support reparations is a racist, right? Right. Yes. Because I bring that point up because if you watch, I'm sure you watch a lot. I'm sure everybody has watched uh, social, I mean, not social media, but if you go on YouTube, especially the, the black media, because the black media is going to be very upfront. It's going to be straightforward. I'll give you an example of Philip Scott. I think I mentioned this to you before. So Philip Scott is very, very analytical. He keeps a close eye on the Democrats or the Democratic seals, right? Yes. Because, right, because we've seen so many times what Democrats have done for Japanese people, the Jews, uh, Native Americans, especially people crossing the border. People across the border receive $450,000 in cash, right? And black people were the ones who fought for them to come over to cross the southern border. And it wasn't really the white, it wasn't really the white progressives. It was actually the black uh, liberals. And so when black people saw that, they're like, hey, our Mexicans and other groups, are you going to help? Are you going to um, fight for us black people? Because we demand caste reparations because we gave you civil rights. And to black people, it's an insult. And then when Bernie Sanders said no, I mean, he didn't say this directly, but it's implied that reparations is very broad. So so don't add words to my when he said that it's it really demonstrated to me that he was pretending that um that yeah, I mean yeah, racism exists, but oh I can't I can't give you reparations because I don't want I don't want to alienate the white the white voters, you know what I mean? His his Well, I played people. let me just interject here for just a second. I actually played a video on my show mm -hmm. where Bernie Sanders said you know, just out in the open that he did not support reparations for African-Americans. He was, he was asked that question. Mm -hmm. I know which one you're talking about that one where he was on the breakfast club and he said that, well, what do you mean by that? But I found a video before then where he was asked that question in an interview and he said, no, he did not. 
I saw that on CNN. I think you talked about on CNN because I saw on a, on the CNN segment with of Wolf, Wolf Blitzer and the audience asked him that question. Like, so the audience the audience understands that yeah, we need. She understands the importance of universal policies, but universal policies are not enough to combat you know racism and white supremacy. Also to close uh, the wealth gap. And I totally understand uh, where she's coming from. It, when we get universal policies. I mean, hypothetically, right? Let's say today, hypothetically, right? Yeah, so a lot of people, yes, a lot of people will will be uplifted out of poverty, but it doesn't mean black people because black people have been 400, 500 years behind. Right. And so that's why I have an issue with Bernie Sanders and I have an issue with, uh, you know, our revolution and and the Democrats. And I keep telling them so many times that, okay, if you don't give black people what they want, like a minimum, we say like a minimum, like at least cash reparations, then... They're not going to vote for Democrats. And I made it very clear to them just recently with the medical fall meeting of Florida, because they've been going through a lot of issues with um, the committee. Right. And and I offered an explanation that, you know, yes, African-Americans do support universal policies, but they also demand uh, caste reparations um, as well. And when I said that, I received a backlash from an Irish guy. He said, don't tell me that that that. um." that I didn't build this country, right? But see, Michael, this is because, uh, two things I have to say here really quick and I'll pass it back to you. This Mm -hmm. is because a lot of people are not educated about what reparations actually is. That's part of the problem. That's why I brought on Camilla uh, Mm -hmm. tonight. So she can explain to people and I will try to bring on more people, you guys, like for some of them, I don't have contact information for, but I will try to bring on people like uh, Tone and people like Yvette Carnell, uh, and Dr. Sandy Darity to explain this more in depth because I know that they have done the research. Right. If you haven't read uh, Sandy Darity's book from here to, I think it's from here to eternity. Um, you really need to read that book. He he did the research on all of this. And, and that's actually who Marianne Williamson uh, worked with. Uh, and that's where she got her data from in reference mm-hmm. to reparations and putting it on her platform. But there's that piece like, a lot of people do not understand what reparations really is. They think it's just cash that you're giving to people based on the color of their skin. They don't understand the history of it. They don't understand the economic implications that have happened to African-Americans in this country. So that's part of the problem. Um, but the, the other problem is, is that this discussion has not been brought to the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. They they really haven't had this conversation like this. Like you've seen it on a couple of like independent media channels. But when Marianne Williamson even tried to talk about it when she was running in 2020, she was cut off. She was vilified. Like she didn't get a chance to go into detail about it. And mm-hmm. you don't see these scholars like Sandy Darity or Yvette Carnell. You don't see them uh, going on to CNN or MSNBC to explain what reparations is. They're not inviting those people on. So it's like, that's part of the problem. A lot of Americans are just not, they're not educated about what it really is and what it means. So that's why I asked you, if someone says they don't support reparations, does that mean that they're necessarily racist? And I asked that question because I don't think, so let me ask you this. Sure. Kyle Kalinske said he didn't support reparations. Richard Wolf doesn't mm-hmm. support reparations. Well, Do you consider them to be racist? Let me say this, okay, I'm gonna say this. So before I'm about to answer that question, right? If you look at the history, how black people built this country from bottom uh, to top, right? And, but you also look at how Democrat, white Democrat, let me be clear about 
about all white Democrats, but majority of white Democrats. When the majority of white Democrats issued reparations, right? They issued reparations. Oh, they issued reparations to Jews. They gave Asian people anti—I'm sorry, anti-Asian hate crime legislation, meaning uh, money, and they gave the migrants money, right? But black people and black people said, "Hey, Democrats, we noticed that you gave all the other groups money, but but us, I mean, like but but us black people." And I'm just quoting, right? And so they're sick of being tired of being tired carrying the full weight or carrying everybody's bucket because they understand in return that not a single Democrats are going to carry a bucket for them or groups are going to carry a bucket back with them. And I see this in my own community. Um, I see this in the Asian community as well. I'm not saying all Asians are like that, but a good majority of Asians don't support uh, caste references for, for, uh, for ADOS, even though African-Americans had, get, had helped Asians a lot when it came to forming businesses Fighting, you know, for civil rights, and a lot majority of Asians don't do this in return. And to answer your question about Kai Malinsky and the other guy about not supporting reparations, I would have to say that that they're using like Democrat, they're being informed by informed by DNC's talking points to go against reparations because I know very clearly the DNC controls progressives, what progressives can introduce and can't introduce. So I have a problem. Uh, with that. And so like with Jason Call, give example. Jason Call was the exceptional uh, candidate who ran for Congress. So I asked him very clearly, do you support caste reparations for African descendants of slavery? And not only that, but do you also believe that caste reparations to be implemented immediately without a study? Because this commission thing, to be honest, Sabi, this commission formed by Democrats, it's meant to be a stall. It's meant to as a it's meant to be used as a as a tactic to stall progress because it benefits right. both parties. So it benefits Democrats because Democrats like to debate this, this slavery exists or not. And whereas Republicans say with the HR 40 commission, oh, we don't have to issue cash payments to African descendants of slavery. So when they, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, both parties, they're bad and evil. The Democrats are more like, how to say this? They're more like covert. They're like the, I feel them like the Fox, right? You don't know, you don't know which direction the Fox is going to, lean towards, but you know the wolf, you know the wolf stands, right? So with, with, with Republicans, we know where they stand on racial issues, which is fine. But Democrats, right. because Democrats talk a lot, right? They talk a good game, say, oh, you got to vote for us because we're for racial justice. But if you're for racial justice, where's the tangibles? If there's no tangibles, no votes. So it's the same thing with progressive policies. And that's why I don't support uh, Democrats any uh, anymore. Even if I get emails from like the DSCCC, we need your donation because because Joe Biden he's facing a uh, re-election uh, campaign because of Trump. Right. I'm like I'm like it doesn't matter to me because at the end of the day, what have Democrats have done since Joe Biden uh, became president in 2020? And with actually almost he's actually almost in his uh, second year of office in his presidency, and he's about to hit for, uh, for re-election uh, coming up uh, coming up soon. And and right. you pay, right and you, right. And so we don't but, I think, but Michael, I think you're preaching to the choir. Like most of the people, the people listening, like we we are well aware of those things. Right. And that's why right. And that's why like when like when I whenever like I ask like like progressives, I always ask them the very first question because I read their websites, uh their campaign websites very, very carefully, especially on racial justice. I know they support Medicare for all, tuition debt free, public education and job training. Because I know that's very clear, there's no doubt, but it's the one racial justice policy I always have to ask progressives because 
if they have enough room to add in like specific tangibles for universal policies, I'm sure they have enough room to add specific policies for uh, racial injustice. And number two is we also have to admit, I always, I've learned this over time, right? We need to compliment on each other's policies. When I say compliment, I mean, I'll compliment. I mean, like just because someone is against abortion, right? But it also means that this person needs help with needs free daycare, childcare, right? Uh, paid, paid parental leave because that person wants to carry a child. I mean, yeah, we could disagree about if the person made the right decision to have abortion or not. But at the end of the day, everybody needs complementary policies, right? When I mean complement, I meant how like the pro-life complements with the pro-choice, how the pro-choice uh, complements with the pro-life, how free public education complements with vocational training, how vocational training co- uh, complements with um, higher education because both both of them are needed. And unfortunately, the Demo- the modern Democrats and progressives and Republicans, we don't re- where Republicans stand, but the modern Democrats and progressives, I have an issue. I have an issue with because the progressives they're being controlled by the DNCs, which I have an issue with. And and speaking that and speaking that going towards the twenty twenty four election, we really need a third party candidates because black people, black voters are tired of voting for Democrats anyways. And they're not voting for Republicans either. Now, if they do vote Republicans, it's a, it's a protest vote to show Democrats that, look, you promised that you're going to give us this specifically to us black people, but you haven't kept that promise. So, yeah, we're going to vote Republican as a protest, not necessary to support Republican um, ideologies. And a lot of Democrats are saying to black voters, look, look at what's happening in Congress right now. There's a lot of white supremacists. They don't care about you. And the black was like, but Democrats, you've done the same thing. But the way you did it is it's more covert. And that's why Demo- and that's one thing that that not only all voters, but but especially black voters, they don't like. They don't like Democrats who are covert, who are not straightforward. Like they don't like Democrats who like smile on people's faces, right? Because you know, like that smile is like it, it sends you a signal that this person may not be real. He will say that he'll like you in front of you, but behind your back. You have a different attitude, and that's one thing. That's the issue I have. Yeah, uh, well, well, Michael, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I just want to reiterate here again. Uh, we, we are well aware of oh, the things that. that you're, you're saying. So I feel like you're preaching to the choir. I do want to bring it back to the point of, of reparations here, because again, you did say that if someone doesn't support reparations, that means that they're racist. And I asked you, does that mean? that Kyle Kalinske and Dr. Richard Wolf are racist because they do not support reparations. They have different reasons for not supporting it, but does that mean uh, that they're racist? Well, I'll say this, but this is what I'll, I'll, I'll rebuttal. Like who gave them, I'll give you, I'll, I'll add this as a rebuttal. When the white settler, when the, when, when the white Europeans came to America after black people were promised a 40 million an acre, who got the free land the most? It was actually white, white European descendants. Right, so but how, but you didn't answer the question. The well, question that I'm question, asking well, is, does well, that I'm, does that mean that they're racist? What I'm saying, what I'm saying, look, what I'm trying to say is that they know the history very well. They are aware, they're aware, they're aware, they're aware of it. But they just think they they think that universal policies will be enough uh, to combat racism, but they're not enough. I mean, so it's going to uplift a lot of people, but it's not enough. Not exactly. Not exactly. Uh, Richard, the reason why Richard Wolf said he doesn't agree with it has nothing to do with him thinking universal policies are enough. Richard Wolf said he disagrees with it because black people would be vilified if we got reparations and the treatment that we would get 
if that were to happen. That was his reasoning. Kyle Kalinske said on his show that he disagreed with it because it would be difficult to figure out who you're going to give it to. Now, I disagree with that, obviously. Um, It's not that difficult. It can be done by lineage, et cetera. But that's that's why I asked that question. I think we need to be careful about saying that. Well, let me finish what I'm saying. I think we need to be careful about labeling people as racist because they disagree with it because people have different opinions as to why they disagree with it. But also some people don't even understand how it would work. And some people disagree with it just because they don't understand how it would work. I would have to do our job to educate those people and explain to them how it would work. I would have to, I would have to disagree how reparations work because we have studies already. Like for example, we gave Japanese Americans who are who, who are in put in intermittent camp in California. They receive money. We we have a we have a clear model how reparations mm-hmm. going to work. But that, Michael Hunt, I have to I have to make you very aware of, aware of something. Most of the white left commentators are not aware of this information. No, I this think they're not, aware. This they're is aware. not. Let, let me finish. This well, is not me, their. Let me finish. This is not their wheelhouse, Michael. They're not, they're not focusing on the studies of reparations. They're not focusing on what was given to the Japanese people. And I've seen them get this information wrong in their show before. They're not focusing on that. That's not their wheelhouse. These are I, people. I understand. These are people who were political commentators and focused on politics and focused on particularly politicians or candidates that were running through the Democratic Party that were supposed to be progressive. They mainly focus on those universal programs, the programs that were a part of, excuse me, the policies and programs that were part of Justice Democrats and a part of DSA. Reparations is not a part of those policies. So when people ask them these questions and they say, well, do you support reparations? They don't even really know. They don't know it as in depth the way that Sandy Darity does, the way that Marianne Williamson does. They have not done the research. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Can I I add something quickly? Um, Because uh, I I just, I feel like, um, okay, maybe a lot of people don't understand reparations, but I still think you have to like give people the benefit of the doubt and just put it on there to see how many people support all the platforms. Because I gotta say, I'm, you know, I'm white. I I didn't always understand reparations, but when people explained it to me, it made sense. Right. you know what I actually don't like is when organizations like DSA and you're white, you walk into a room and some person is like, you have white privilege, <laughs> you know, in a very rude or condescending way. That's what I don't like, you know, uh, like a general attitude mm-hmm. of, I, you know, I'm going to assume things about you because I assume that you have privilege or you have privilege and, you know, I'm just going to like close myself off and treat you badly. So that's what I don't like. So I I think it's better to just put the policy on there and then let the chips fall where they may. And the people that support it will support it. Um, But if you just leave the, the, the ask really general, like, you know, fight racism. um, I got to say, like, I think white people don't, aren't really thinking about, oh, reparations. What they're thinking is this is going to be this, like, kind of nitpicky social justice warrior type group yep. with, you know, a lot of angry activists. Yep. I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going there. They're going to accuse me of white privilege. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> so I think well, just like, you put are, it you on understand. There, put the policies you want 
Yes, I agree. But but you and understand. I'll, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give an example, Michael, and then I'll pass it back to you. I'll give an example that happened not too long ago. I called into uh, Useful Idiots. This was not too long ago because mm-hmm. they were talking about. I think this was during the student loan cancellation thing, that whole debacle. Right. And they were talking about that, and I called in because I was like, you know what? Maybe this is a chance for me to get this message across. Okay. And I called in, and I, I, I was talking to Katie and Aaron, and I told them that FYI, canceling student loan debt does not, you know, shrink the racial wealth gap. It does not close the racial wealth gap. Mm-hmm. And I explained to them why. I told them that the majority of African Americans do not have student loan debt. The majority of African Americans didn't go to college. Right. So I was breaking this down to them. And it was also a chance for me to explain that to their audience because it's a different audience over there. You, you guys got to understand <laughs> we're working with different groups of people. So I explained this to them that the only way to close the racial wealth gap is through reparations. That's how you do it. And I even said on that show that Dr. Sandy Darity and Yvette Carnell would be the people to follow because they've done a lot of research on this. They have a lot of the data and I recommended his book and yada, yada, yada. And you know what I found out after that call in? Mm -hmm. They were not aware. And, and those are, everybody has like their different areas, right? So like someone like Aaron, the gray zone, they're really focused heavily on foreign policy and things like that, right? Right. Katie Halper focuses on foreign policy too and some domestic issues. But when I brought up this particular issue about reparations, it was very clear to me they were not aware and they didn't even know who Dr. Sandy Darity was. And that's what I'm trying to tell you, Michael. For most of the white commentators in this space, they are not aware. That is not their area. That is not their wheelhouse. And that's where we come in to introduce that. Right, but you do understand at the same time they're the one. I'm not saying all. I'm not saying Katie or the all the progressives are responsible, but a majority of the white population are responsible because they're the ones who have power in Congress, right? It's at the state, local, institutional, so they have power to issue cash reparations if they want. But, but Katie and Aaron are not in Congress. You see what I'm saying? I mean, like the people who control right. the people right, who control the left, the people control the left media space. Mm-hmm. Are predominantly white and they're not in Congress. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I know, right? But I'm just saying, so, what, what I'm, yes. But what I'm trying to say is that they're being saved by Congress. So I feel like when Congress controls media, right? Right? It's like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. You do right. understand that they're using that as a troll to to put to to halt black progress. So my point I'm trying to say is that that may but, be. But, but in that, that in that same vein, in that same vein, though. Uh, Clyburn has mentioned HR 40 and has talked about, has mentioned reparations on mainstream media. So I don't right, know about that. But for that, so let me say, I'll explain. See, even uh, like, so, even Dr. Darity would say that the HR 40 is not really reparations, it's a study. It doesn't give, it doesn't issue cash payments. So that HR right, 40. Right. And I, and I, and I understand that. And I know that, Michael, but I think what I'm trying to get across to you is most Americans don't know that. Most Americans don't even know what HR 40 is. Right. But I think if I can say something, Michael, people are people are resistant to the label of being a racist. But to your point, you know, for what people know and don't know about the specificity of any race um, reparations program, 
I think we are on solid ground to say the majority of people in this nation, immigrants included, understand fundamentally that this nation was built out of slave labor. Yes, that I'm is a crime against humanity. So to ask the basic question, do you believe that the descendants of the people who built this country for free deserve repair? It's a simple question, whether you know the specifics of HR 40 or from here to equality or any of those things, it is a basic question. And I, and I agree with you that it doesn't necessarily, I won't say it makes them racist, but what I will say is it makes them racist adjacent because there is no, to my thinking, my personal belief, there is no reasoning around justice. And the bottom line is reparations is not a gift. It is not a handout. It right. represents justice. So for Professor Wolf or Kyle Kalinske or anybody else to be against justice, that's fundamentally wrong. And I believe, like you say, when people say, oh, I'm not against it. I mean, I'm not for it or for whatever reason, like Professor Wolf, you are saying you are articulating a concession that you understand this nation to be fundamentally racist. And when you say if they give reparations to the blacks, blacks people will be antagonizing this and that, you know that because you know this is a racist nation. And you're saying, I will concede to that. Because if you didn't understand it to be a racist nation, you would not think blacks would be vilified for receiving it. But there is, and when you say to Bernie Sanders, who is Jewish and who supported legislation to help the Jews who survived the Holocaust receive reparations from Europe. When you ask him if he supports reparations for the descendants of slaves and he says no, it is a psychological concession because what he is saying is, I understand this nation to be racist, both on the left and the right. And mm -hmm. for whatever the reasons, they're not dealing with the injustice, the centuries of accrued disadvantage that the descendants have suffered. And I've said this before, when we look across this society from any given period and we look at the social structure, black people have always been the bottom of the pyramid. And when you ask the people and you say the Irish guy say, oh, you can't tell me I didn't build this nation. They're looking past the fact that this, the infrastructure of this nation was built before the Irish got here. Exactly and so right. That's right. what they're saying is, and I've said this before, mm -hmm. people gained identity out of slavery. Poor working class white people had the privilege of saying, I'm not black. I may be dirt poor, have one tooth in my head and no house but I am not black. And that meant something specific with respect to identity. So when you talk repair or reparations to people who don't even understand the full uh, mechanization of it, what they're saying is 
you are threatening my identity. Because if you unleash these people from the bottom of the social pyramid economically, then who am I? Where do I stand? Am I now the new bottom? People in this country have gotten comfortable with seeing the descendants of slaves at the very bottom of the social register, which is why they support universal policies, because that means relative to position, we all stay in place. I get a little bit more, you get a little bit more, but you're still above me. So I won't say that the people who don't support reparations are racist, but I would say they are cultivating and accommodating a racist adjacency because the fact that you don't see the need for justice that is racist. Yeah, yes, I, will, I will say, Michael, I think you need to be, we, I think we should be careful about saying that people are just saying people are racist because I'm not saying, I'm not saying all of the, I'm not saying majority are racist. I'm not, I didn't say that. You no, no, you, you did say at the very I beginning said, of the call. I mean, I was saying, let, me say, let me, let me clarify so that we can have an understanding. Okay. Let me clarify. So that way we don't conflate the issue. That way you don't see me as being antagonist. I'm not saying majority are. But it's a good majority. When I say majority, I'm saying, yeah, there's 25% who are not racist, but then you have 75%. All right, and I'm going to give you an example, okay? You have two candidates, okay, applying for the same job, okay? Let's say, uh, let's say it's a management persistent, for example. You have a black candidate who has a lot of experience, has an advanced college degree, and you have a white candidate who doesn't have a college degree but has a high school diploma. He gets hired first over the black guy. Obviously, there's discrimination. And so to that black man, to him, he's losing a lot of income because he could, have, he could have accumulated a lot of wealth over time if he had been hired for his qualification. But it's not that in the reality. I'm not saying all white people like I didn't say that. I said there's a good majority. But there's also no, minority actually, people actually, well, well, reparations. One, one, well, one thing really quick, Michael. First of all, I appreciate the fact that you are very passionate about this subject. But I will say this as well. Uh, I am a black woman. Yes, you are. I, and, I'm aware. And oh, okay, but you are not African American. No, I'm I not, really don't not. need right. But let, let me make this very clear. Right. I really don't. I really don't need for you to explain to me what it's like to be black in this country. I really don't need that. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to. Right. I'm not trying okay, to explain. But the things to you. that the things that you've been saying to me, it's like that's why I said you're preaching to the choir. Like. I don't need you to tell to explain these things to me. I know what it's like to have wealth inequality in this country. I right. know what it's like to be a black American in this country. I know what it's like being black and having degrees in this country. And mm-hmm. I know what it's like for people who are black and don't have degrees in this country. I'm very well aware of that. But to go back to what I was saying previously, when you first called in, you said you didn't even say majority. You said the people who disagree with reparations are racist. And that's why I wanted to clarify that because I think we need to be very careful about calling people racist about a, a topic that some of them are just not particularly aware. Well, I'm just saying and that, I, but, you do, but you understand that we're moving very quickly on racial on racial justice. And so there's no time wait for, for, white, for white people who, don't, who are not aware of reparations, but if they want to get on cold or have understanding, they need to research because you understand, I'm sure you understand that your people, they're tired, they're sick of tired of fighting every day because they've done a lot for a lot of people. They've done a lot for immigrants. They've done a lot for LGBT, but for black people alone. I'm sure you're aware of that as well. But the point I'm trying to make is very clear because our redlining still continues uh, to this day. And the banks and the people who built the institutions, the banks, schools, house, 
universities. I'm sure you're aware it was built by, you know, ADOS, which is the African descent of slavery. And that's the point I'm trying to make. And I'm sorry I was not being very clear because that's to say the majority. I'm trying to, trying to say majority, then you have a minority who do support, then you have a majority who don't support it. And but that's Michael, cr- Michael, mm-hmm. I do hear you and I understand exactly what you're attempting to say. This system was shaped and formed in a racist cauldron. The institutions yes. are racist. And to Lucy's point about walking into spaces and people saying, oh, you have white privilege, this and that. I think what people are saying is this system that is inherently racist extends to you a privilege that you don't even have to ask for. You can be a white woman and we can be walking down the boulevard and you do not have to fear the police in the way I do. So it's not like it's a privilege that you have cultivated and you even recognize, but the system itself extends to you a privilege through your whiteness. And this even extends to black people like Mariah Carey who Mm -hmm. look white. That's what the whole passing for white was all about. Mm -hmm. So, but we have to be careful that we identify a racist system versus racist people with the understanding that this system extends. And that's what the whole issue about critical race theory is about. Mm -hmm. The framing of the canon of law creates a benefit. And so we have to be clear about that. And it's not to vilify the people, but let's be clear that when we support this system as it has been developed, it is a racist system. It is. I agree. I agree, yes. I agree completely with you, Noel, but I just, I just want to say, um, and you can even kind of almost see it in the chat. People think that putting the policy position reparations is more controversial to people than these individual attitudes. And to me, I have seen this. Like you may you may express yourself very well, but a lot of people do not. Um right. they do have these bouts of like individual attacks, you know, in blaming individual problems for societal things. People do that a lot. So um what I'm saying is I think it's less controversial to just have the position and then just have anybody that wants to participate it support it. Um, they might, and you know, like when you have a bunch of policy positions, not everyone is going to be there supporting for the same position. Some people are more into this position or more into the other one. You just yes, have I'm it aware. out there. I'm a, and the I am fully, yes, I'm fully aware of that. I'm fully aware because like I said, I'm fully aware of that. Yes. That, there, that there are some positions that, People are not going to support, but then at the same time, if you're running as a progressive candidate, like we'll give yourself like Jason, like Jason Call, for example. But Sir, we're has, not. But we're not. I, I, I think there's I mean, a there's an issue here, Michael. Michael, it's we're related. not. It's related. I mean, it's related. We're not, but we're not. We're not. We're we're not progressive. We're not progress. Like I, I think. No, not, okay, right, right. Let me. I think, let me you, I think you may think that a lot. Most of the people who are on this call are people who came from the Bernie movement, but we don't support the duopoly anymore. So right, you talking to right, us, 
Right, but you yeah. talking to us about Jason Call, who, by the way, Jason Call was on my New Year's Eve uh, stream, and Jason Call said he would never run through the Democratic Party again, and he does not support the two-party system anymore. So yeah, talking right. to us about the what the progressive candidates, I guess, were running, it's like we don't, we weren't voting for Jason anyway. You, you see what I mean? Yes, I see, yes, I see what you mean. But sorry to go off topic, but I'm going to make this very quick. I know you have a lot of guests wouldn't be on. But in terms of in terms of the in terms of the Medicare for all, and I just had a conversation today with one of my clients' wife, or what's not what the client's wife told me about about her health insurance coverage, how it doesn't pay for, you know, their prescription, right? Tell me that tell me that she had to pay twelve hundred a month. And she said to me, you know, I am concerned if the government I'm sorry, she said, you know, with the insurance companies, you know, screwing people over because they're so focused on shareholders. Uh, doctors, nurses are being stressed out. Uh, doctors are not spending time with patients. And then a lot of people have to pay so much money out of pocket. And then she said, you know, I'm concerned that if we have government, if we have full government take over healthcare, I'm afraid I won't get healthcare. And I didn't, I didn't interject at that. I didn't interject at all today because, you know, I just, I just like to understand before, before I offer a rebuttal to her. Before- in my Okay, I don't know what happened. Michael, Hello. I think you cut out. Okay. Hello. Okay. Yes. Oh, quick, right? And then I knew already of Medicare for all. It's going to it's it's going to make things better for people. You don't have to deal with the, the Americans don't have to deal with uh shareholders. And I think that's the point that my client's wife was not understanding. Cuz there's a concern that once we have Medicare for all, there's going to be a, a government bureaucracy no, it's not. What it's going to do is going to make people take public ownership of healthcare. So that way the government doesn't raise people's access to healthcare. But again, like I said, again, this is not, like this is another conversation to have. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, well thank you, Michael. And Noel, you, you brought up a, a point. I noticed like the way that you framed it when you talked about, um, Lucy, can you mute for just a second? I think there's a tapping sound. Uh, Noel, the way that you framed it when you talked about reparations, about repair, I think the difference is the way that you frame it, yeah, more people are gonna understand it from that. But if you don't frame it in the way that you framed it and you just say, black people need reparations, a lot of people don't even know what the hell that means. That's that's a big part of the problem. That's why I was saying you have to educate people. You really have to. And I agree, but here's, you know, here's my concern because this is a sensitive issue when you consider that we are in the first quarter of the 21st century and the the notion and the concept of reparations has been around for, for since forever. But when you say these things, and of course we bring different levels of understanding and, you know, ability to explain these concepts, but for people to have that knee-jerk reaction of, no, I'm not against that, they're responding to something and generally is the perception of reparations as a handout. That's what people generally understand it as. And so when I get the opportunities, I like to reframe it for the justice issue that it is. And it's right. an uphill fight because like I say, People have gained identity, they're comfortable with the social order, and they understand intuitively 
that if you give in the video that you played when Camilla was on and you mm -hmm. showed the race and the right the white racers were running around in accruing wealth every cycle and the baton was getting bigger and bigger and then when the black people were actually allowed to run you had all these obstacles when mm -hmm. you think about it from that simplistic point of view the only way you're going to get those black people on a level playing field is to stop the white people from accruing, which is the same as give something to the blacks that you don't give to everybody else, because that just perpetuates the imbalance. That's why, you know, um, student loan debt is not an effective vehicle for closing the racial wealth gap. But right. what we do understand is this nation from top to bottom is uncomfortable with the concept of doing justice to the descendants of slaves. We've given reparations to the Japanese who were interned in World War II. We've given treaties yep. to the indig certain indigenous populations. But when the, the concept comes to the descendants of slaves, there is a universal resistance to it. And I know it's there, which is why I do my best to articulate this in a way that people can understand past their initial resistance. And thank you so much for that, because you're doing the damn thing, Noel, for real. But uh, but yeah, it's true. Like when you when you look at it historically, they've given reparations to other groups. They just haven't given it to African-Americans. That's a big part of the picture. That's not an opinion. That's based on fact. Uh, Michael, thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, Michael. I'm going to go ahead and bring in the Tory. And then I'm going to pivot to you, Case. So just a heads up there. What's up, Natori? Just got to unmute. Hello, Sandy. Hello. Hello, everyone. My little spill on um, reparations, I just wish um, the Democrats and especially Joe Biden just cut them checks like he cut them to um, Ukraine. But anywho, <laughs> that's just simple. <laughs> just cut dry with me. But um, I love, <laughs> yes, I love um, Shama, what she doing. To me, she's a prime example of what AOC should do, and she she just I can't I can say a lot of cussing words, but I ain't gonna go there. But I love what Shaman is doing. But it's one I want to take a hard left and go to um um I hope you RBN and JB talk about this more is um SSI SSA and military benefits because they are coming. I've seen in the um other shows that they Democrats and Republicans are coming for people disability and I know my mother and my aunt is on it and I'm a little worried for them but I know it's going to be millions of people hurt with that issue when did they announce this uh notorious they didn't announce it it's just you can see like they talk because I know um, some people said like their Medicare, like they doing little stuff with Medicare and I can see it in my aunt stuff too. Like they like cutting like little bits and pieces. And I know she doing stuff that she ain't have to do last year. So it's like they trying to change it. And then I seen that they are um, saying, you know how they almost cut it before, but it's like they going hard, like they sneaking and doing it, but like with the courts, they coming for um, benefits again. And I'm so worried about a lot of older people or people that's on it. 
See, this is why I don't know if other states have this policy as well, but I know at one point uh, Maryland had this policy where for people who were like senior citizens, those that were on uh, social security, they could not, Mm -hmm. um, they could not shut off their heat during the winter. Because what was happening is, I don't know if people are aware of this, but years ago, you had senior citizens, they were dying in their homes in Maryland because their social security check was not enough to pay that heat bill. So the electric company would just turn off the heat and the people just die in their homes. So Maryland had this rule. I don't know if they still have it. I have to ask like my aunt, but Maryland had this rule where the electric company could not come in and turn off the heat for senior citizens because they were living off of that social security check. So if if they're going to cut social security, but see, this is exactly why we need like that workers movement that Shama Mm -hmm. and socialist alternative is, is starting because you just can't, these kind of things can't continue to happen. And to Notori's point in the political ethos, there has always been an energy more specifically on the right to get the social programs. You know, they have been saying for decades, oh, the social programs are, you know, out of, control is too much spending. And we see that it was Bill Clinton who cut back welfare. So I think you make your your political senses in tune here, because now that we are in what we call late stage predatory capitalism, they are looking for ways to generate or find additional revenue to support the war efforts and this and that, and cutting those social programs is the 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 cow that lays the golden goose because where else do they get the revenue from there the rich are not paying taxes you keep allocating more and more money to the military industrial complex so the only other expenditure that is a long-term expenditure is those social programs and they are looking to cut them and just like we never thought we would necessarily see roe v wade reversed when it happens, it happens. And so the drumbeat has been there for a long time to cut those social programs. And Biden was a supporter of it. Keep that under your cap since the mainstream media don't want to deal with it. But there is an energy. And in this divided Congress, I can see them nipping away, cutting something here and there and saying, oh, we had to do it because that was the only way we could get the legislation passed. So, um mm-hmm heard of any specific initiatives, but I'm in agreement with you that in this stage, they are looking to feed that military budget any way they can. And if it means cutting the social programs, they're going to try. I feel like the way they're going to get it is how they did the abortion rights. They're going to, Democrats know what Republicans have been doing for years, for decades. And I feel like they're going to, and they got this, um, you know, they have the courts now. And I feel like they're going to get it at like they're going to be shocked and surprised. And they're going to get it just like how they did abortion rights. And this a terrifying thing because it's so many people going to be out on the street if they could the um disabilities like the SSI, SSA and military benefits. That's right. A have lot they of codified on those. Have they codified Roe v. Wade into law? No, they didn't. Why didn't they try to do that before 2022 was up? Right. Like it just it, it 
So this is another thing that they're going to use towards people like they knew that that Republicans wanted to do this. And let's remember, Joe Biden wanted to do it years ago, too. He's on record saying that the video is still on YouTube where he wanted to cut Social Security and he wanted to cut Medicare. So at the end of the day, but they, they got billions and billions to give to Ukraine. This is why it's important to have an outside movement like what Shama and her group are starting this workers fight back union. That's why this is going to be so important because the politicians are not going to fight for us. You guys, these people are paid by the way. They have excellent health care. They have unlimited sick leave. It's a mess. Yes, it is. And I just know it's like, it's just crazy because they got all this money to do something, all these other stuff, talking about how they going to pay for it. But when it comes to the people, they don't have no money. But we see every day they have billions to see it elsewhere. That's right. That's right. And this is what Americans need to be paying attention to. Over $100 billion has been sent to Ukraine. And I understand that they are fighting a war. I totally get that. But other other countries have already stopped giving them money. Germany backed out months ago, and Germany was like, look, we're not about about it anymore. We have to protect our own damn people. We need money for our people, especially considering the inflation that's going on this year. So it's just, it just, but the United States, like, again, they just got to have an excuse to use that bloated military budget. And I'm sorry, the fact that people like Bernie Sanders and the other, like the squad members can continue to vote for this legislation to continue to give money to them. That's bullshit. You guys haven't sat up there and fought for any of these progressive policies. Like you said that you would, you see all these billions of dollars going out the door. How can you go back to your district and look your people in the face and you're not even fighting for them? All this money going out the door and none of it's going to us. That's right. I have one last thing to say. I feel like shit is going to get real in 2023 because it's like, you can see these, these little pieces like the cop they're getting the cops lined up they got the people like these people on wall street can gamble with people money all day long but let somebody on disability or on um food stamps do get ten dollars from somebody they ass is underneath the jail it just seemed like a lot of little stuff coming together and now they got the courts and it's like they're trying to do everything to get every penny from the poor that's crazy to me that's 100%. Uh, Case, I'm giving you the floor. Case has uh, a little announcement to make. Go ahead, Case. Hey, much love to you, Savvy. And, man, Notori is on point. Noel, everybody here is just on point. I'm just so happy and to to be a part of this community community that you uh, established here on Colin. Everyone is great, from our libertarian friend to Samson, who who talks about um, Marianne, support Marianne Williamson. And I'm, I'm glad that this is a space for all different views and we can articulate um, and have deep discussions. So um, I want to give everybody an exclusive that's going to be coming up soon. I, you know, I, I've talked about the mutual aid political party uh, various times for throughout the last year. You know, I remember first um, talking about, I think it was might've been with Nick on his call in um, like, eight months ago and over time the idea has just been developed to the point where i got to give a shout out to my man marco who's in the the chat as well listening we've been meeting up once a week um getting the technical side locked down and i'm happy to announce that we're, we're going we should be launching in about three weeks and um this I, i'm so happy to also with the the, the announcement that uh, shama 
just made today because we need different in, different organizations to try different things. So I'm happy. I'm not in competition with that. I'm, I'm I want an, an alignment with her in solidarity with that organization, Workers Strike. So um, don't think of this as we're competing with each other at all. But uh, we're going to be launching, and I, I, I've talked to Sabs about exclusively allowing the call-in people here. I'm going to send out the link when it does launch to have everyone here tested out. We're going to do a period of testing where you can create tickets. And this is all test tickets. So we're going to be testing out the site. And remember, just for those who don't know, the mutualaidparty.org site is going to be a help desk ticket for mutual aid. So people can create their own um, ticket, like saying, hey, I need help. Um, mowing my lawn, I, I broke my leg, and I need, and I, my lawn is getting crazy. It's too much grass. Can someone come by and help me out? And then you can either create a ticket or you can answer, apply to answer a ticket. And um, over time, you know, you're going to get rated on how you help the person. So people are going to see, oh, according to this rating, this person have a four out of five star rating. So I'm I'm going to uh, allow this person to help me. If somebody has a one out of five, that means you're not doing quality work helping people. So most likely you're not going to get picked to help out with that mutual aid. So this is kind of like a safety um, feature, almost like how Uber, you, you call an Uber driver and you, you look at their rating, you make sure you get a good driver. So anyway, I think I feel like I talked enough, but basically um, I want to thank Sabs again for allowing me to um, give this announcement. And before we fully launch to the public, again, I'm going we're going to launch on call in and I'm going to allow people to give me uh, feedback. I'm going to give you the website. You guys can give me feedback. And before we do the full launch, uh, any uh, questions or thank you, Sabs, for allowing me to say that. Ace case is doing the damn thing. That's right. We need other things like I think this this movement here, the workers fight back movement is going to be awesome. But also we need other things to go along with that. If we look back at the history of like the Black Panthers, I think this is a teachable lesson, right? Like uh-huh. the Black Panther Party after that was taken down, there was nothing to fall back on. Uh-huh. Hundred uh, percent, and and the the way it's going to be set up is you can create teams. So I, I have to talk to you, and maybe I have a a side meeting with you and RBN because I know you guys are coming up with your chapters. I was thinking it would be great if all of each chapter. I know there's one in every member, so there's going to be Orlando chapter, there's going to be a Boston chapter, there's going to be a um you know a Compton chapter for CJ and Kansas for Nick. And I was like, man, I was thinking, and I'd I love to talk to you all about it. It'll be great for you all can, to set up your teams for each to have a, a, so let's say RBN of Orlando. And that would be a team where, um, where, where, where James is organizing his people in Orlando to go out and do mutual aid. Like, so, and then even the worker strikers, uh, they can create a team under the mutual aid and they can do mutual aid. Um, DSA, Socialist Alternative, all the different chapters can create their quote unquote team on this site and they then they can organize to be able to do the mutual aid. And so anyway, we could talk for hours about this, but now is not the time. I just wanted to thank you, Sabi, for allowing me that space. Anytime, Case, anytime. Uh, Notori, I want to pivot back to you. Yes, I just wanted to say um, 
I want to say a lot of people are so grateful for you and RBN because after Bernie showed his ass and left his damn movement, a lot of people like left the TYT because I used to watch TYT and um, Cal Kalinske with that blonde fucking hair disgusted, but Crystal Ball, but we left, I, well, I know I left them because they was not speaking for me no more and I just love RBN and you and JB and them on RBN because y'all don't sugarcoat shit. Y'all speak clear and we get it. And we love y'all. Oh, thank you so much for that, Notori. Yeah, you're right. We we definitely don't sugarcoat. <laughs> y'all speak clear. We, I love it. But thank you. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. All right. Roger Meadows is in the house. Roger, I hope you're feeling better. Just got to unmute. What's up? Yeah, um, I feel a little bit better. I just I just figured out I need water. That's that's what it is. Um, yes, Notori was talking about ACO reach value based care. It's putting Medicare on the way toward privatization. I'm going to be on a Zoom call with uh, what is it called? Physicians healthcare plans. I forgot what it was called. Oh, Physicians National Healthcare Plan, something like that. They they push for, you know, like uh, uh, nationalized healthcare at the state and local level. And it's, it's like a bunch of doctors that, that want Medicare for all, so on and so forth. But uh, just last week, Biden did something sneaky, like, you know, it was like under the radar or whatever the case is. But it's called ACO Reach. It used to be called DCE. I forgot what it stood for, but it had something to do with contracting. Um, I don't know if anybody out there want to Google ACO reach, uh, ACO reach and to find out, you know, but I'm, I'm going to go on a zoom call, uh, next week to find out, you know, uh, what it is. Hopefully Lucy, I'll be, I'm, I'm looking to be better by Saturday. I haven't been feeling well, but yes, that's it. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Roger. I'm going to go ahead and bring in the next caller, which is Raka Ray. Raka, what's up? You just have to unmute. Hi, Sabi. Um, long time. Hello, how are you? First time calling. Um, I finally caved and made an account. Um, I just want to say I really appreciate the discussion so far, um, especially the one about reparations. I think that you know, I was just struck by something that Shama said about, you know, if you want to run for office, if you want to build a political movement, it's important to not be marginalized as well as like to not sell out. You don't want to do either of these things as a leftist. Um, and so I think you guys made like a really good point about, um, you know, it might be true. You know, I have no idea if the majority of Americans are racist. I have no idea. But <laughs> I don't know the majority of Americans. But calling them that, you know, the propaganda just goes so deep that when you start to question that, sometimes it makes people, you know, like have a complete mental breakdown. Their entire frame of reference for what they believe about the world, you know, gets thrown into question when we say those things just kind of callously. So I did appreciate that discussion um, a lot. And so I wanted to say that. Um, the other thing I wanted to say that I clicked on that website for <laughs> Workers Strike Back so fast. I, uh, you know, I am speaking just as myself. I'm a public school teacher. I'm involved in my union. And I really, really appreciated 
that Shama called out the ACLU and these large nationwide um, unions for not leveraging direct action a lot more. You know, mm -hmm. I live in Oakland and um, there was actually a huge win. There was a bunch of school closures, specifically black schools um, were being closed in Oakland and the black organizing project here along with anti-police terror project did a sit-in of one of those elementary schools with parents, kids, you know, people were arrested. And then just this past week, the new school board voted to rescind those school closures as well. And so to me, the kind of action that um, is happening on those local levels, what Shama did on city council needs to be scaled. And I think there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of energy for it. But unfortunately, we have these state unions that are very much into the inside game and are just kind of convinced that if we cozy up enough to the Democratic Party, they'll finally do what we want, despite the fact that, you know, California went hard for Bernie. You know, mm -hmm. people really want to put their hope in something. And the fact that it's just constantly being siphoned out by people who are supposed to be representing us as workers is just disappointing. Um, I would consider myself to be like a really old school Marxist. And I am just so glad to have some kind of beginning to, uh, to build a mass movement. I think Nick on RBN says this, like, oh, you think having a general strike is gonna take a, lo a lot of work? Well, I guess that means it's time to get started. And yep. so she seems like she's really like, you know, taking that to heart. Like that's very much what she's doing. Um, another thing Nick says is strategize nationally, organize locally. And I'm just excited to have something to, to look at, something to join. Um, because a lot of times I feel like even within my own union as a Marxist, my voice is not recognized or heard That's simply right. out of a culture of compliance on the part of leadership um and not necessarily and i just want to be clear i'm only speaking for myself and like not my union but um those are just kind of things that i've seen and uh and so i was just really grateful and um oh the last thing i want to say is i'm indian shama's indian you know india has or up until quite recently, had a very strong communist, a very militant leftist movement. And um, I think that's another reason that I'm able to have a little bit more faith in Shama than I would someone else, um, because the internationalist perspective and that international sense of militarism on the left is sorely, sorely missing in this country. So those are my two cents. Well said, well said. Um, and I totally get you being, you know, a Marxist in your union. There may be things that you want that may not be on par with what uh, the rest of your members in the union uh, actually want. Um, and I feel you like people need something else to to dive into because we can talk about the problems all day long. But you have to also start talking about solutions. And if people don't see another pathway, people will check out, people will become demotivated. Like I've seen these things happen. And I think that's why it's important not to put all our um, 
all of our eggs in one basket. And I feel like we did that with the progressive movement. We put all of our eggs in one basket, hoping that this would be the key, right? And then things didn't work out and people were just like frustrated, demotivated, annoyed, uh, so much to the point where people have lost friends because of it. We've talked about this before a couple of nights ago. Um, people are angry. And I think, you know, Roger, you hit the nail on the head when you told me people are, are feeling this way because we haven't had any wins. And you're right. We haven't had any wins. None of these things have been accomplished on the national level. On the local level, they have been. Some of these policies have been implemented on the local level, just not on the national level. And I think the, the for me, the $15 minimum wage to see seven Democrats vote against that, I think that really was a huge wake up call for me. It's like, God, we are not going to get these things passed. And the, you guys realize it's 2023. The minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour, the federal minimum wage. That is insane. That is insane. And I think a lot of us invested so much hope and time and energy into the squad and the progressive movement and Bernie Sanders. And I think some of us may have adopted some type of hero worship towards them. And looking back on it, I don't think that was a good idea. And this is why I continue to say to people, no one is coming to save you. And that is not to discourage you or to disappoint you, right? I bring this up because I don't want people to fall down that lane again. I don't want that to happen again. For people to think, oh, now we have our savior. Even with this organization with Shama Sawant, I don't want you to look at Shama Sawant as your savior, as your hero. Because there are going to be disappointments. Like, I mean, these things happen, right? Like, you may not agree with everything that she does. And some things you may agree with. But if you put if you put that one individual up on a pedestal, that is where the disappointment will come in. So I think it's important, again, that I stress, this is an organization. This is a group effort. As Shama mentioned tonight, it's not just something she's doing on her own. And I think that's why she's been so successful. Someone being a counselor, a city counselor for over a decade, she didn't get there easily. She had to fight every time. Look, they tried to recall her. They tried to recall her over a year ago and she beat the recall. But I think that's something that we just need to remember and keep in mind that like she's been fighting since day one, since she got into office. But yeah, we, we got to look towards those things. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, so definitely... Um... That's, if there is any way, I mean, it's January, it's January, and the faster, the more sooner you start to file for these ballot initiatives, the better, because the biggest uh, uh, ally of grassroots financing is a big time window, okay? It's January. And we got until November of next year. I'm just saying, don't let any time go by. All of you people who live in uh, ballot initiative states, get it done. Public bank, single payer, legalize uh, 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 weed, uh, state government jobs guarantee, um, uh, government broadband, you know, that's competitive with uh, the top five countries. 
How about yeah, public financing of elections? There you go. Mm. And that'd a, be a big one. Yeah. All of that. You know what I mean? Time, time is a ticking. Don't, you know, don't let the grass grow under your feet. I mean, I wish I could do it. You know what I mean? But so all I can do is help others. Oh, I just, I just reminded myself. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to do something. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was supposed to call, uh, it's called Arizona New Economy Project, I think it's called. And uh, I was, I was going to call them up about, hey, you know, like, talking about a public bank. Um, the people from National Infrastructure Bank uh, put me in contact with them. But you know, I've been I've been fighting this tummy ache, so that's that's pretty much what I've been I haven't been thinking about anything else. But uh, yeah, I gotta call those guys. I gotta call him tomorrow. But yeah, 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 that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, no matter what you do, no matter what initiative you want to run, it has to be accompanied with a public bank, mm-hmm. or else you're going to, uh, you know, like, you know, you need the revenue stream. And that'll at least provide you with the revenue stream. And I am on the hunt to find some some single payer organization in North Dakota. I'm on the hunt. I'm going to try to find somebody, some progressive group. <laughs> you know, I can't find anybody in, in North Dakota because you know they already have the model. That's but right. um, you know, but that right. yeah yeah. Don't let the grass grow under your feet and start those initiatives. Yeah, because they're they're already there. They got that thing going in North Dakota. Uh, anything else you wanted to say, Raka? Um, I guess just that I think uh, you guys both made very good points, and I'm just excited to like you know get some work done, and let's get started. Let's make it happen. Well said. Let's do the damn thing. All right, let me go ahead and bring in Sinway. Sinway, you are next on the mic. What is your take on all of this? How are you feeling about this new this new uh, movement here? Pretty encouraged. Wait, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good. Um, pretty encouraged. Uh, especially, um, hopefully we'll rally more people, but um, well, maybe I can like tell to my uh, progressive group in my county and we'll see what their reaction is. Um, because we, yeah, we definitely, definitely, uh, need a huge workers movement and this way, given what I've been reading about, like the unions and how they're, well, apparently they're on a good number of them are under this term called what liberal something where they're very much more about relying on the politicians and buying up to them. Um, it's definitely need like, um, all the people behind it. So definitely in for, um, for it. Well, Um, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, you know, I, I, am really excited for this. I'm glad that Dama was able to come on and talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I think we, this is what we need, right? Like Chris had just told me recently, what did he say? Like we should have started. He said we should have started like a third party movement decades ago. Yeah, well, and I don't mean just the Green Party, but like a movement movement, you know? Yeah, well, that's what 
what you get with the CIA and all its propaganda, especially when, well, when they went to specific targeting audience. So, um, but one of the things that was also just came to me is, um, in order for the workers to feel supported, especially for this movement, there's, well, actually it was brought up by case is that we're going to need to like build like a found various mutual aid organizations, um, alongside a, a strike fund that come to mind, which because it's brought up, um, you need, they're going to need the support if they're not going to be, you know, working, especially if their healthcare is tied to it. Um, I'm curious to see if the workers movement are going to talk about, um, talk about like, um, building up those kinds of mutual aids. Did I put, let me see. Did I put the link to the workers fight back in the chat? I need to do that. Let me, um, let me take care of that. Sure. Um, um, yeah, because you're going to need those mutual aid efforts as well. Yeah. You're going to need that because this could also consist of strikes as well. Mm-hmm. Like just being honest with you guys at some point, some of these people may decide, look, we're just going to have to go on strike because Case God. they're not yeah. going to listen to us. Yeah. And you know, I think Notori... Notori raised an issue that I didn't want to let to get by when she talked about policing. Are you all aware of this big issue that's going on in Georgia Cop where they're City. planning? Yep. Yes. Yep. And and like shot. I said, they're getting prepared for these strikes and this and that. And, you know, I think there is a case before the Supreme Court where the issue of uh, mm -hmm. people's ability to strike is going to be dealt with. There's a calcification of the power of the elite that's going on in a very surreptitious way. Yep. And I think once these things in terms of the worker strike back and these movement comes into fruition, there are going to be a whole lot of other things that are in place that we didn't even know about because they've happened through you know, surreptitious legislation or through Supreme Court decisions. And it's going to be a whole infrastructure in place to make it more difficult because I think they sense that the time is drawing nigh. There's yeah. only so much more extracting you can do before people are out of their minds. And I think yeah. they're building up that military militaristic policing thing because they know they're going to have to control the masses. That's right. Yeah, so points about that is, well, comments at the fact that we're going back to like the industrial revolution age because those guys, like they faced Pinkertons and the police fighting for workers' rights. So we're going back to that, that's for sure. Um, and second, is there, I've been, I keep hearing about this case of the Supreme Court looking at this and I'm really concerned. I want to look into this in particular. Uh, and this is even more soon because I'm an administrative assistant at a small law firm that represents unions. So that's another thing that just came. So um, I feel another thing 
uh, I want to start this in my community too, and a lot of people in it want it is actually no, back up is media literacy, which critical media literacy. Now I'm sure there's like book clubs and very similar events that various organizations do, but in the case of my county. There's not really that. You would have to go to like one of the Baltimore groups and or organizations in order to get something similar to that. So I'm interested in starting that. And personally, I wonder if like other communities can like be able to like start something like that. It can be like similar to a book club. Mm. Uh, one of the things I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here. I know we've talked about it on RBN, but one of the things that the Black Panthers used to do is they used to read theory. They used to read like Marxist theory, right? Hmm. So we also have to sharpen our minds. Like we yep. need to be reading about these things. And there was a group, they used to do this. I don't know if they do this anymore. There was a group when I lived in, in Cambridge, they used to just drop off books outside of apartment buildings. And they would put up a little... A little sign that said take one free books and it was that type of literature hmm mm -hmm. i could probably put that in there alongside the social service guidebooks i've been delivering every weekend so that's something okay. definitely to consider but i was thinking of something like okay um people bring in a mainstream media newspaper or clip and then we're going to talk about like what's the bias and what's missing from this report and here's the context and hope, I hope to like eventually brings people to realize yeah these main wow I didn't so this is how the mainstream me is propagandizing everyone and yeah <laughs> so yeah something it's, it's like a that big part of it the hardest part is beating the propaganda but if you yeah. can just if we can just give people that literature, especially for free, that can educate people as well to wake people up. Because most people are not going to go to the library and look for that type of stuff. And some libraries have actually removed works of literature. Oh joy! Marxism. They've they've removed those books. Mm -hmm. Some of them have. Oh great. Uh huh. But there is a bookstore. This is kind of funny. There's a bookstore in Harvard Square. And I didn't know it was that type of bookstore, but like when my husband and I were, were dating, we were just hanging out in Harvard Square and we were like, hey, this looks like a cool bookstore. So we walked into this bookstore and then we're looking around and we finally realized, is this a communist bookstore? And it was. Mm, now it nice. wasn't advertised as that way, but it was. I should go back by there, swing back by there and see what's up. All right. It's, it's been a hot minute. But yeah, it was a communist bookstore in Harvard Square. Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, yeah, definitely uh, drop off books and I mean, if somehow. But I feel it's very important. It's like I've read like uh, Caitlin Johnstone's article about like, one of it was about like you, well, besides posting like the your own like work, about about propaganda is um, share as much as you can and yeah and I was thinking like 
like talking to the community, similar to like a, the book club kind of thing. So that can that can help people too. Um, yeah. Book clubs and that kind of thing. I mean, it's there's different ways that you can educate people mm-hmm. about these ideas. I think a book club is great. I, I really do. I wish I had time to be part of a book club, but I think a book club is great because it introduces you to new people, but it introduces you to people who are like minded who want to learn about those things that you want to learn about as well yeah um i'm slightly off topic i just i just remembered uh so is it really true so there's like a government site that says like 10 percent of the american people are food insecure hence the reason why there's not much of people taken to the street but it seems weird because so many there's like thousands of people homeless and that those numbers of course can be skewed like the number of people that are homeless so where did you where did you see this at the same way it was a was a government okay it's like if you type in google like how much of the u.s is um food insecure okay now is food it's like a government it's like a government report. Like this was like what weeks ago. I'm gonna okay. Have to ERS. Know. Okay, here it is. Uh, ERSUSDA.gov. I'm gonna have to double check that. Ten percent sounds low. What do you it, guys? It, what do you guys think about that, Eric? Do you think it's only ten percent? Only ten percent of the American population is food insecure. I mean, I guess it be one of those things that gets into definitions. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just then what like does that really things. mean? Yeah. Because so, you can be food insecure and not be like, are they accounting for people that are, I guess, on food stamps or some type of assistance? Are they accounting for people who are homeless? Like, how are they, de- how are they defining that is, is interesting to me. Yeah, um, yeah, um, in fact, this was in the, uh, okay, so there's different numbers, so also this was, like, in the RBN Discord when I asked about, like, well, if enough people are starving, they, it would, like, take to the streets, but given how, well, there's see, a we, lot. We can't so, even let it get to that point, though, before people get out in the streets. Like, that's the thing. We, we can't wait. We have to be proactive, not reactive. At least that's true. my own thinking, right? Because here's the thing, you guys, and we've seen, we've learned this from history. If you wait until things completely fall apart and then you say, okay, let's protest. Let's go out there in the streets. By that time, they're already going to have enough energy and enough resources to stop you from even reaching the gates. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is what Noel was trying to explain. Like, they're already giving the police more resources. And yeah. Democrat, even Democrat politicians don't want to admit this because although they say the George Floyd protest, they totally understand it and it made sense, they learned something from that. You know what they learned? Next time, we need to have more cops. Yeah. 
So, I guess, reflecting back on the French Revolution, at least the people in France were talking amongst themselves and getting organized. So, it's like, I don't know, when some people think about, like, what hap what led up to the French Revolution, and they, mm -hmm. I don't know, some, it's like a simplicity of, oh, there were, starvation is what drove them. As I said, already mentioned, they were already um, organizing it amongst themselves, too, so... That's right. And that's why I'm really hopeful for this worker strike back movement, because when we think of those earlier revolutions, some of the things that and which was basically a class based thing, the difficulty in this nation is the diversity and with within ethnicity in the masses. And so I'm thinking you have to build that broad coalition across all those different um, ethnicities where the fans of dissension have been fanned. The flames of dissension have been fanned. And so we need a situation where the, um, the black, the white, the straight, the gay, the Hispanic, Latino, all of those within class are able to come together and say, listen, this system is not working and we have to um, build something new. And that's my concern that, you know, we have a really cross section in whatever movement manifests because this nation pushes those, you know, disparate issues, which makes it more difficult for us to coalesce. Yeah, especially different histories and what you're taught differently, especially the immigrants that come here. That's very much true. Um, we're going to be talking about um, France and UK tomorrow night um, because I have some things to tell you guys about that. Like I said, like they're working together. Um, they're not. I feel like the big thing. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Eric. Well, uh I feel like the big thing we need to be working on is is how can we inspire large numbers of people you know into a mass movement because that's that's really our only chance is to get to get a lot of people <laughs> and so I, I feel like we should we should really be thinking a lot about that challenge and what what might make that happen well what inspired the George Floyd movement what inspired people to get out in the streets I think for that one, it was just the, the horrificness of the video. It just became very plain. Well, maybe that's what we or, need or to do. It was a tipping point, yeah. Maybe that's what we need to do. A lot of the things that we talk about, maybe we need to show people in this country what it actually looks like. We need to show them pictures. We need to. There's a video that Garland Nixon did. I think I showed it on RBN where he talks about the poverty situation in this country and advocates mm -hmm. for, uh, for the machine. Yeah. You yeah. saw that, Roger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You showed it. Um, it's it was, yeah. um, Not just Oakland, but also other cities, because I'm wondering, I was looking at videos of other places that would look similar to it, and um, a lot of them, don't get me wrong, Oakland is definitely that. It's just that I was thinking to myself, what about D.C.? What about, like, um, Pittsburgh, uh, top of my head. Like, what do other homeless places look like? Do they have the same, like, shanty, like, towns and camps and tents? We need to show all of them Senway. We need to have people, like, those of you who are listening, if any of you live in, because I'm I, talking to my friend in Texas, Austin, Texas has tent communities now, too. If you live in, in these areas and there are tent communities, 
we need to be like taking pictures. Don't film the people because that's not that's not polite. Uh, but we need to be taking pictures of those tent communities and list the city. And we need to get like a thing going about this so people can see it's not just Los Angeles. Because people keep saying LA. It's not just LA and it's not just Oakland. It's not just San Francisco. It's not just in California. It's happening all across the country. And we yep. really need to highlight that shit the way that Garland Nixon did in that video so that people can see how people are living in the United States. It's happening in Philly. It's happening in Boston. When I was a little kid, there were no tent communities. What has happened to this country? Yeah, it was on um, the inside out. And, oh, go ahead, Roger. And you know what? I hate to be the eternal pessimist, but in my thinkings, and, and like you say, what can cause a great mobilization, I keep getting this suspicion that this proxy war in Ukraine, and you know, um, Secretary Austin said one of the things they were trying to do is weaken Russia. And what is turning out is that the sanctions are weakening the U.S. and they're yeah. weakening Europe. And it's causing a stronger alignment between Russia and China. And, you know, now I hear Saudi Arabia has been petitioning to join the BRICS and this and that. And I, I can see something really unexpected and cataclysmic coming out of this nexus. And it's going to take us by surprise. And I'm just like, I can easily see that being something that begins to be the beginning of the end, if I can just put it that way. Well, General Kellogg is already uh, already telling Americans that they should be ready to cheer on and promote and support a nuclear war. Crazy. In support right. of Taiwan, like what the fuck is happening to this country? Like, I hope Americans are really paying attention, and I feel like a lot of them aren't. I feel like a lot of them are just like, let's do Netflix and chill. Most people I talk to have no idea what is going on in reference to foreign policy. When I talk about nuclear war, they're like, "What are you talking about? We got to stand with Ukraine." They have no idea what is really going on. Oh, like, especially in my county. Um, uh, I, oh. go on, Roger. Uh, so Eric, so the if you want a good public financing initiative, you should look at the one um, South Dakota in 2016. I mean, it was a law that the that the uh, government repealed in 20 at the beginning of 2017 because they did not do it as a um, amendment. They did it as a law. Which, which you know, made it vulnerable to getting repealed, which is exactly what happened. But if you could just, you know, go to uh, Ballopedia and just, you know, punch in uh, South South Dakota 2016 initiative for public financing, they had this whole good thing. It was like um, an independent um, commission to make sure that. Uh, independent ethics commission to make sure that the money was public money was using being used correctly and so on and so forth so you should you should definitely look at that and um i'll check that out yeah and i forgot the other thing i was gonna say but it'll come yeah well, there was um i mean we actually had 
a, a, a clean elections law in place for for a good number of years in in Massachusetts, and there were campaigns run on it, and it was it was working pretty well. But then, like you said, Roger, because there was a um, a law on the books, the uh, the legislature one, you know, did a bunch of shenanigans and and they vilified it and kind of pulled the funding and then said, oh, we can't afford it, and then and then got rid of it. But it's mm-hmm. it's possible, you know. It's and and I do like um, you know, the the idea of, of pairing it in some fashion with the public bank because it goes like you're saying that that really does help with. The, the financing. Yeah, you could pay, you could pair a, a public bank with anything. That's like a, I don't know a, I don't know if it, Sabrina did I ever send you that diagram of the circles of the public bank in the middle? It's kind of like the sun, and it and it has these little circles around it that shows uh, the things that it could finance. No, you, you probably forgot. Oh, am I still here? Uh-oh. Sorry, I was muted and I was talking the whole time. Um, I I don't think I have it, but uh, you may have sent it. Just send it to me again, because chances are I probably lost it like a lot of things in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Just go ahead and send it to me again. All right, let me see if I can put it in the chat. I wonder if the chat takes uh, images. All right, so and I'll just say generally, like when we're talking about inspiring people and having a movement and, and you know, how we can get something going here, I, I do think it's really important to provide people with a path. You know, what's, what's your plan? What's, what's your idea for, for systemic change? And that can be things, you know, like ballot initiatives, you know, that can be things like, like taking on Citizens United, you know, constitutional fixes. And I, I do think that that's a big part of this. Because if, if all we are as, as the left movement is just pointing out all the things that are wrong, I mean, it's a start, but it, it's, it's not going to get us across the finish line. And, and if you're, if you're, if you're, if you have a whole list of, of a plan or plans for systemic change that, that can also reel in people who, who, I don't know, who aren't, who are maybe a little higher up on the socioeconomic ladder. And they might they may not be in your movement necessarily because they're desperate or because they're they, they even need it themselves. But if you're showing them this thing and they have empathy <laughs> and they're decent people, and you're saying, "Well, here's our plan." I mean, this is what happened with Bernie, and Bernie, you know, was wasn't real about it in the end, as we all know. But but this is that that is a big part of of why that became a, a big serious movement because people looked at that. And they said, okay, I can get involved with the Bernie campaign, do money, and vote for Bernie, and then he'll get in there and fix things. Now, you can so, definitely say it wasn't the best plan as far as it had the problems, but it inspired people. And that kind of inspiration, I'd say, is what we need. I heard, um, so Frank told me, um, the guy from Colorado, he told me that they had uh, had, a, had an initiative to do a, a initiative for an amendment for a, a Colorado public bank, and the judge stopped it from getting on the ballot, saying it violated the single subject rule. Okay, um, and they, he said, uh, pretty much, he said that the judge lied. Pretty much, he's probably in the pocket of some banks or whatever. So here's something. Here's something. Um, I believe it or not, I got this idea from the uh, 
from some, what's it called, the Convention of States. It's some like conservative uh, uh, group or whatever, headed by Mike Levin. But they was talking about you could do, you could run a ballot initiative, right? A ballot initiative amendment that gives you the right to uh, that um, that takes that that amends the veto referendum, where it where you expand it beyond striking down laws passed by the legislature and the governor and expand it to striking to a nullification of unpopular um, uh, judicial court decisions. You know what I mean? So I was telling Frank he should do that. He thought it was a good idea. But um, I'm just trying to expand everyone's imagination. There's, there's, there's so much we can, that we can, we can do. They can't stop us. <laughs> well, the other thing put out there is we, is we should be having big asks. You know, we, we should. Yeah. Demands. Medicare for all. We, we should be saying, you no, know, U.S., no ask, you know, demand. national health system. Yeah, big demands. You know, we shouldn't just be saying, you know, oh, could we do a little less war? You know, we should be saying end the wars and and cut the, um and cut you know, the military budget and there, you know, there are things along that, those lines. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Senway, um, anything else you wanted Which, to add? I got a, a long line of people want to make sure I get I, them as well. I know I saw, um, well, um, as of, as of now, I'm going to vote on politicians based on their foreign policy because as brought up and as we've seen with the, all the money going to Ukraine is, um, this, the politician may have great national stuff, but um, if they go along with the war machine, what's the point? If there's no money going to those, well, their national platform. So I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank and, you so much, Simway. Yeah, very well said. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you guys, like, this is something, this is an area where the president of the United States can act alone. They don't really need the support of Congress to do so. Let me go ahead and bring in Lance you are the next caller. I know you have been so patient. What is up? Hey guys, how y'all doing? How are you? You sound deflated tonight. No, no. What's up? No, just mellow a little. We're just uh, chilling a little. Uh, the um, Kashama Savant thing sounds exciting. I'm, I've just decided, just you know, just on hearing that, as soon as I get the five hundred one c three officially going which I can do before I get this whole project going. I'm going to solicit funds and it'll be like goldfish in a goldfish bowl that doesn't even have little stuff to hide behind like fish have to let you go swimming in and out. And I'm known for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Speaking of, of get through. And so as soon as I do that, I, I, you know, if she's going to come east of the Mississippi to talk about this and she's left her thing, she's probably going to go. I, I want to bring her here. You know, I have no money. I'll fundraise for that separately from this bringing kids to the city, to the country, all that stuff. That's a separate thing because she's such a good faith actor that anything she got involved with, I mean, I'm, I just, I, I'll be on board with, you know, just for her, what I consider to be what I know of her character and, you know, what she's about. She's totally movement oriented, righteous without self-righteous, without being self-righteous, the whole thing. So, Wow. Thank you so much for that, Lance. You guys ever wonder if AOC and other squad members 
Do you guys ever wonder if they somewhat envy Shama Sawan, the fact that she is able to fight back like that? Totally. The question just popped in my head. <laughs> totally. But, um, oh, well, and I want to say something about the reparations because, you know, I've actually convinced some folks that we're not for it to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, now I'm for it. You know, I mean, I think it's an unassailable argument. I don't know. It's, and it's got elements of what people have said, but it's kind of different. Um, but just, just quickly oh. to answer your questions, Sabby, I, I think they hate her because they, they, she yeah. exposes them. I think so too. I just want to throw that out there. You know, but could, before I do the reparations, could I comment on one thing that I just think I just know? Because I mean, I will take the five point thing and all that. And I, I before I knew what the five points were, and Amazon, one of the biggest plant uh, where uh, fulfillment centers, whatever it's ever built, brand new, less than a year old, like six months old or less, um, it, were opened here. Also. As far as uh, the union stuff, I go to people, I go to Dollar General. What about union stuff? What about union? Oh, we're not allowed to talk about it. I talk about it. That's all. That's it. But I will flood the community with this whole thing. But I'm telling you, it's just a, just a fact. I work with Trump people. I try and, you know, you know, and, you know, and I'm left of Sanders, almost a Marxist. All right. Uh, just almost right there with Richard Wolf, who I think I could convince. I don't know about reparations, but you're going to lose that. Ton, a ton, a ton of people. If I could just make this analogy, I think it's apt. You know, Budweiser, first of all, you got to simplify. You can't do the holiday pack. People aren't going to buy the whole six pack with, with six different kinds of beer. You got to simplify, simplify, simplify. And then you got to take that product and not change the, you know, the message can be different without lying to anybody. It's got to be the same. But instead of saying we're going to have the same message to everybody, you got to take that Budweiser just like in the commercials where it's like, if you're selling it in a basket at a basketball game, NBA game, they're going to have sophisticated urban black folks. If it's a football game, going to be folks tailgating, going to a football, you know, uh, if it's a, you know, some other thing like, uh, skiing or whatever, it's a sophisticated thing. They're going to have blonde hair, blue eyed people on a beach. It's the same exact beer to every molecule, no matter where you buy it, but they're marketing it to the people without lying about the beer, the product at all, but you're marketing it in the language people understand. And the, the racing, it's, if you do the racial justice thing, it's just going to turn bazillions of people. I'll still flood the community with it, but the, the, you know, I mean, I'm not going to let that stop me from being behind it, but I really want to try to get to way into these folks and say, you're going to lose a huge swath of people. If you put the racial justice part as, as a component directly in your five points, of course, I mean, I'm down with it, but you got to do it. About, I'm sorry. You're talking about Shama Sawant's workers movement. If you add that in there. Yeah, I think that. And like I said, I, I will still, even with that in there, right. I want to fly her here, whatever it takes. And I know she won't gouge me. You know what I mean? I really want to do a fundraiser. I have her cut with or without that in it. I'm not saying I'm not 100% behind it. Absolutely. Because she's a good faith actor, I'm kind of surprised it's in there. But I'm just saying, you're just going to turn a ton of people off if you don't. If, if that's in there, you just are people that would otherwise. Oh, yeah. support. And you know what I mean is that Christian Smalls did not put that in. That's why he got Trump, you know, people that not necessarily Trumpers, a bunch of white, you know, upper middle class folks on Staten freaking Island. You know, that's how he did it by not putting well, the racial think, part. I think what Chris Smalls did and what Shama Sawant are trying to do is, is not the same thing. Okay. Chris right. Smalls was trying to start a union. Shama Sawant mm -hmm. isn't trying to start a union. Right. Okay. I got you. And it's not, but if it's a worker specific party, 
that would be different. But you're right. But it's not a party, right? Or is it? It's going to be a political party? That she, that it's, it's, a, it's a workers. It's called Workers Fight, Fight Back. Back. It's right now it's an organization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, even in that in that vein, I, I just really think, again, this is just an observation. Not me. Not me. I will support it 10 million percent. You know, I will zealously. I will still. But I just think you're, with that in there, uh, you know, in other words, as a party thing, absolutely, because you're going to have a long agenda and a big platform. And it's like too bad, folks, if you don't want to be, you know, because you like the other 18 things out of those two, then okay. sorry. But, but yeah. Um, I don't think you really have to worry about that. There's already people in this reparation space that are that are doing it. And they're they're a lot more depth than, than than me and Sabrina, so we're just right. letting like them do it. You see what I'm saying? Like right, right, right. So they're they're over there doing that. You know, single issue voters. Not saying that single issue voters bad. Not saying it's good, but they are single issue voters. So there's there's already a how can you say a department that's handling that. Like right, they right, don't right. Have to take that on. All it is is that, you know, we just support it. That's all, sure, you know, sure. like what, whatever moves they make, all right, cool. But, you know, there's right. no Oh, absolutely, right. No, no, I totally hear you, Roger. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Could I could I throw out there the reparations? See, I was talking to Katie Halpern. She had somebody from Hawaii talking about uh, rights of indigenous folks. And I said, you want to hear about it? And I'll give you the 22nd thumbnail schedule. But, but the reparations thing, I would have always, I said from when I first heard of the concept, of course, if I was a governor president, I would sign it in a heartbeat. But I didn't have the, the intellectual, like, how could I just totally convince people who don't, are just down because it's the right thing to do. And I mentioned a couple of things. And one is the Iroquois were so sophisticated. They had the, all three branches of government covered. <laughs> the two Eastern, two Western. They were old versus, or young versus old. So the young ones got to put in the, uh, the, the legislation, if you will. It was the ones, the two in the West that decided they went along with it. The Onondaga were first among equals. It was the long, it was like the capital, if you will. When I say first among equals, they were all equal, but they said, no, you know, let, let, let us help be the final compromiser. And if they couldn't find the compromise, or if, even if they did, the clan mothers were like the Supreme Court, totally. They said, no, thumbs down. It was a matriarchy and they, to this day, it's the most sovereign little tiny posted stamp reservation to this day it's the most sovereign i'm sorry lance i'm trying to follow here it's Um, well what i'm saying is that it's still no 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 that was just on katie hubble show no nothing to do with it but i was explaining to them about how sophisticated the iroquois political system was and the supreme court was literally it's a matriarchy so the supreme court was the clan was the clan mother my point is they had treaties that were 200 years old they did not sign treaties that said forever and ever that's what I mean about the sophistication politically. And so they had treaties that came up in the 70s uh, under that were under the Articles of Confederation. They lost those cases. They won cases, interestingly enough, in the Scalia court because they're very big on contracts and they were at least, you know, sincere and followed their, you know, their own philosophy on this. And they said, no, they lost the one from the. Uh, 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 Article of Confederation, 1789, we had a constitution. They started winning cases in, seven, in uh, 1989 and beyond. And so they actually wound up owning the town of Salamanca, New York. They wound up owning it. They said, yeah, this is part of the area you should own. And so they said, no, we're not taking the town. We're not clearing it out and taking it over. Give us 10000 a year. 
which you know wasn't a lot even for smallish cities, you know, big town. You know, and they said, then you have it. It was just kind of the principle of the thing. So you give us 10,000 a year and that's that. And they've won a lot of them since and they're still winning them, not just the Iroquois. My point though is as far as reparations, we can go back to that and we figured out exactly what these treaties, what they would get. And then they got reparations. There wasn't any dollar amount on the treaty. They figured it out. And same thing. I don't know if it's with, um, um, but as far as modern day, as far as I, I mentioned, and I'll be very brief is when they tore down all these highways or they tore down all these buildings. These were people that scraped together on their own without any help. They created communities where they owned businesses, they owned houses. The only people that belonged to them were the Jews because they were the second most oppressed, but they had their own like banks because that's what they did and that's what they had before and that's what was their thing and they actually loaned, blah, blah, blah. When it got destroyed, any white people in a majority black community, it doesn't matter. The white people could still pick up the pieces. They could go to another part of town. They could go and get another job. They didn't have to live in project, quote unquote, for free and, and then be redlined. You know, no, white people could pick up the pieces and at least move on, even if they got screwed alongside of the majority black people in that community. So it is about race and it is different for black versus white. And it is about receipt. These are deeds. I'm not saying you got to have a receipt and a deed. I'm not saying that. But beyond just the slavery thing, these are these are real deeds. Deeds go back all the way centuries, and those these are real deeds of real houses. So let's figure out the equity that they lost over this over the time, and not just be that the only thing. I'm not saying well, you're. I want to. I, I just want to add in really quick, Lance. The equity, all those things have the numbers have already been figured out. The data has right. already been done. Sandy right. Darity has already done the research. So there, there's no more re- research that right. needs to be done. I want right. to make this very clear because this is the Absolutely. thing that. This is the thing that Kamala Harris tried to do. Kamala Harris said, well, we need to do the research. No, 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 the no, research no, no, has no. already been done. And, and yes. nobody pushed back on her when she said that at that town no. hall because most of the people in the audience were white. I was like, no. where's the black people? Nobody yeah. pushed back on her about that about that point. So my thing is, is this. The numbers have already been figured out. The data has already been done. The research is already done. There's nothing else to right. do but just right, distribute right. the money. Oh, absolutely. My point is that it's like you, you have to be able to say to people, oh, it's just the right thing to do because they've been hurt and thrown you. No, 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 no. And, and no, it's not down to the penny of every little last receipt you got to have. Absolutely freaking not. But we figured it out what to do when we screwed the indigenous peoples about those treaties. And, you know, you know, and so they got screwed out of the stuff they should have got. For, and, 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 you know. And also, we we can figure it out with what all whether it's the internment camps or whatever it is. In other words, there's a track record. We figured out before how to crunch the numbers, like you're saying, Savvy. And we can when we're doing it this time too, if you know, like you're suggesting, so that it's not just oh, let's do the right thing because because we heard some folks. You know, it's good to just back it up with with there's precedent, there's numbers, there's statistics, and uh, and so forget about the fact that it's just trying to be good. It's like no, it's, it's true reparations, and it is a racial thing that's different for what happened to white folks. It just, oh, it's look, the, th- the thing is, is this, it's been given to everybody. They gave it to everybody except for African-Americans. They've done it for everybody except for African-Americans. Everybody else got some type of reparations per se. It's, this is just ridiculous. The fact that we even have to still debate this in 2023. When I, I told people tonight on stream, What did I say? The Guardian put out the article by 2053, black wealth will be zero in this country. Zero. 
We don't own anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Lance, um, I want to be clear. You said uh, race and black and white, so on and so forth. Reparations is not based on race. It's lineage based. Okay? So you, you have to that's something that you have to understand. He got okay, blacked out. For, you bought you. You didn't. I mean, you. You know, they got like muted for. Okay. Can you he hear me didn't now? hear you at first. I heard you. Go ahead. Okay. So, it's not. You, you kept saying black and white, white and black, black. No, it's not based on race. Reparations is based on lineage. Okay. So, my friends, who I grew up with, whose parents were from uh, Jamaica and Haiti. It wouldn't apply to them. But my friends that I grew up with, who's like down around the block, whose whose uh, parents were from the South, it would apply to them and us. So you, so you know, I was making the distinction the about the white folks so, that got caught up in it in the black neighborhoods. They wouldn't count because they sorry, could pick I'm up sorry, the pieces. Lance, can you let Roger finish the statement? I'm sorry. I think he got cut off. Okay. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it would be based on um, um, lineage. Also. We also have to dissolve to another notion that is going to come out of uh, taxes. Okay, um, Congress, the Treasury Secretary, has the power to legislate new money into existence. So they always try to. I mean, I wish I would have known this back when people were asking Bernie Sanders back in 2016 and 2020. Oh, how are you going to pay for it? I wish I would have known that Congress has the power and the treasury secretary has the power to just legislate money into existence. But yeah, so they, they try to stop you with that. Oh, my taxes. That's no, not your taxes. Number three, uh, we have to dissolve the notion because I think um, white people got it in their head that a bunch of black people are going to show up at their door with their hand out going, yo, where's my reparations at? You know, like that, that's what I'm I'm not saying you, Lance, but I'm just saying we have to dissolve that notion. It's just like, no, we're not going to a you. We're going to the government. We, we know you ain't got shit. We know you broke. We, we you know what I'm saying? You, unless you're at now one of these other uh, corporations and insurance companies that were around and profiting from the slave trade that's still around today. Like, no, nah, no, nah, we're not going to the, 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 some regular white guy showing up at his door because that's why I always get the feeling that they're, that they're thinking. But as far as like, you don't have to come up with solutions. Trust us to come up with the solutions. You see what I'm saying? Like, I understand like this. I see that this is something that I uh, a lot of uh, whites get caught up in. They want to help, but they don't realize that they might be making it worse. So just fall back. We already got the solutions. Well, they got the solutions. Because I, I follow and see what they do. You know what I'm saying? The Freedmen Bureau Bank um, and, and all of that. And in case, um, I know Kamala talked about the uh, the Freedmen Bureau but Bank. But pretty pretty much what it was, was it was a bank that was given to uh, to soldiers, to, um, to to Union soldiers that who fought in the war, uh, black people who fought in the war, where it was a place that they can... Um, you know, they get a stipend for fighting in the military or whatever the case is. It was a place that they they were able to deposit their money into. But because it was ran by entities that, that did not have our best interest at heart, and of course when Lincoln got assassinated and Andrew Johnson, who was a, pretty much a Dixiecrat, was, became president, he pretty much just, you know, like, let it just go to waste. 
And this is why. Um, and so pretty much all those Union soldiers lost lost their money. So this is the reason why um, black people are very hesitant of banks. I know a whole bunch of black people is like, nah, man, I don't fuck with banks. And I never understood. I never understood why or whatever the case is. But I think it's that it's written into our DNA. Like, nah, yeah. I ain't trying to fuck with no banks. Now, Hell, nah, I go to check cashing place. Don't forget, Roger. Jay, um, James Brown said, "Bury your money in the ground." Oh, yeah. Remember, yeah, he yeah, told yeah. Eddie Murphy that when Eddie Murphy was uh, first starting to become pretty big on the scene, he had yeah. a conversation with James Brown. For people who aren't aware of this, this is really funny, but he mm-hmm. had a conversation with James Brown, and James Brown told Eddie Murphy to bury your money in the ground. So when they come for the banks, you still have your money. That's what he told yeah. him. I'm not kidding. Yeah, James Brown was, I think, was around during the Great Depression when everyone made a run on the banks and there was no money there. So it's just trauma of dealing with the banks. Here's another point to consider with this whole reparations movement that that demonstrates how insidious this whole thing is. When we talk about the reparations that were paid to the Japanese who were interned during World War II, when we talk about the indigenous people going forward with treaties and this and that, when we talk about the monies that the Obama administration made available for certain survivors of the Holocaust who were having difficulties in this and that, none of those issues were brought to the public forum. Nobody was going around all of America saying, oh, do you support us giving reparations to the Japanese in turn? Do you support us going back and dealing with these treaties? Do you that the only issue of repair that gets placed back into the public forum as if, oh, we got to run this by the people because the people got to vote on it is reparations for the descendants of slaves. And I say it is insidious because you know that chapter line and verse of white America for reasons we've already talked about will not support that because they perceive it as a handout. And even in some cases, when you articulate it as a justice issue, they still don't want it. That's how deeply the divide and the characterization of who we are in this nation is. But it is insidious that the issue of reparations to the descendants of slaves has to be this big political brouhaha and you have Mm -hmm. to, oh, we got to go to all these people and everybody got to support it. But when the others got it, it was done and people didn't even know it was done. People didn't even know it was done after the fact. And And to to this this day, day, a lot of people people don't understand that the Obama administration made monies available to those Jewish survivors of the Holocaust. I knew about that. I knew about that one because I have friends that are Jewish and they had explained that to me. In fact, my friends that are Jewish, they told me like when it was time for them to, to do their birthright, they were like, yeah, I'm going to Israel to do my birthright. And I was like, what is that? And they explained it to me. And I was like, wait, you get to go to Israel for free and it's paid for? And she's like, they were like, yeah, because that's part of that's part of that reparations package that they got. They could take a trip to to Israel, uh, to to their well, technically their their homeland, per se. And it was all expenses paid and they didn't have to pay for anything. I think there's a certain timeline when you have to do it. Like 
once you get a certain age, you can't be like, hey, I'm going to go do my birthright. I think a certain timeline, but all of my Jewish friends did that. And I was like, well, damn, we don't have anything like that for African-Americans. We don't have any type of birthright where we can go to Africa and it's all expenses paid for. Why is that? So it's it's any time, like it's not just reparations. It's any time you talk about giving something to black Americans, that's when it's considered controversial. You know, I did a story um, a while back. This is This was before I was a part of RBN. I did a story about this before I did live streams um, on my channel when Joe Biden had signed that anti-Asian hate bill into law, which I agreed with. But the point that I was trying to make in that segment is that there was no type of urgency to sign something into law to protect black people from the police. There was nothing like that. It was just only to, it's always other groups. And that's the thing that really bothers me and that gets on, on my nerves. Because to me, it's just like, we're here too, damn it. And, and we're always put last. It doesn't matter what the situation is. We're always put last. And so they'll talk about doing things for African-Americans, but they never actually end up doing anything. It's just talk or it's a study. And by the way, I'm here to let you know, when you hear politicians say, yes, we, we wrote this bill, it went to a study. You know what that really means? It means it was sent to a place to die. When bills are sent to study, oftentimes there's no actual study that is happening. It was just sent to a space to die. And people need to know that. And that's another thing I feel like a majority of Americans don't realize. There's nothing happening there. It was sent to a study because they don't want to do anything with that bill. They don't want to bring it to the floor. And this is important for people to know and to, and to fully understand. But I, Roger, I want to point out, I'm so glad that, that you prefaced that it's not race-based, it's lineage-based. Because this piece is incredibly important. This is what a lot of people get wrong about reparations. They think that it's just based on race. It's based on lineage. It's not that you would be giving reparations to everyone in this country that is considered to be black per se, based on their, their complexion of their skin. That's not how reparation works. And it can't work that way. And I was educated about this. The reason why it can't work that way is because it can be overturned by the 14th Amendment. So it has to be based on lineage. Now, that being said, this does not mean that I don't think that reparations are not due to the entire uh, African diaspora. I do believe it's due to all of them, but it has to come from different places, the countries that actually took wealth from those countries. So when we talk about Jamaica, Jamaicans were right to demand reparations from England because that's the country that took wealth from them and that's the country that continued to profit off of them. So when we talk about reparations internationally, Britain owes reparations to several countries in the world. And that was something that recently Prince Harry spoke about. That's why there's so much controversy over that because he came out and said, yes, my country owes money and mainly the monarchy from Britain owes money to those countries because they stole wealth from those countries. If you wanna talk about a country like Haiti, this is why I brought this up to Camilla tonight on the show. Haiti should technically get reparations from France 
See, this is important for people to know. That being said, technically get reparations from France. However, some can argue that the U.S. still also owes reparations to Haiti because of Woodrow Wilson's actions towards the Haitian institutions. Woodrow Wilson seized the Haitian institutions. And by the institutions, I also mean he seized their banks. See, these are the kind of things that they don't tell you about in history class. When we learned about Woodrow Wilson, they never told me this shit. This was something I had to learn on my own. This is something you learn about just reading about history on your own. It's not in your school textbooks. But Woodrow Wilson sent in the U.S. military into Haiti. And when he sent the U.S. military into Haiti, he also seized their institutions, and that included their banks. So the U.S. has somewhat of a debt to Haiti, and France definitely has debt to Haiti. And I think this is what complicates the issue of reparations specifically for the descendants of slaves in this country, as you say, a lineage-based ideology, but particularly when you think of slavery as it existed across the diaspora, because eventually you're looking at a reordering of the world. And that's what makes it so difficult because if you begin to talk about repair across the spectrum, it changes the whole dynamic because this is how these empires got to be empires through extracting without having to do any type of payment. Um, but I mean, on its head, it is a justice issue. It's not a handout. It is a justice issue that represents the um the making the descendants of slaves whole for what they lost in terms of not being able to inherit the benefit of their parents labor and the accrued disadvantage that occurred by way of Jim and Jane Crow and things like critical race where laws were passed i mean think about it this nation passed laws on a national basis that excluded a specific segment of the population. And it was just commonplace and nobody was saying, oh, we're getting benefits that they're not getting. And that's so unfair. Nobody was saying, oh, we could go out west and get land grants, but they can't. But And that's not fair. Nobody even looked at it that way. People didn't look at and say, oh, we can live in this neighborhood, but they can't even move here. But when it comes to a reversal of those ideologies and saying, we're going to do things for this group to make them whole, people just don't want to hear it. No, they don't. And and I want to bring in. I got really misunderstood in a huge, huge way. I really did. Honestly, I really did. <laughs> you know. Just a half a minute. I'm going to hang up. I'm not even going to, you know, try to, you know, whatever, talk more. I have told folks, recent folks that came from Africa don't get it. People do not get the reparations. It's genealogically from slavery. I have said that very thing. These are two separate things. I'm talking about the Richard Wolfs of the world. God love him. Because when he talks about the vilification thing, Okay, but also in terms, right, but also in terms of the recent immigrants and the genealogy, my point was the two arguments are, what about the fact that, like Richard Wolf says, the vilification of blacks after they are at the end of slavery, it's the end of any racism now, we paid you off, blah, 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 fuck it, because that's going to happen no matter 
as far as that. But the other argument is, what about this group or that group that aren't black, that aren't, you know, that with slavery? That was the only distinction I was making was that if you happen to be white and got caught up in those same neighborhoods, and I know that what I'm talking about with, no, please, it's not like you have to have receipts. It's just an argument that says we did it. It's, it's, it's an overarching argument that what we did for people in internment, what, whatever, what we did for, uh, uh, indigenous people, there was no exact deeds of what the deeds of how much. I'm just saying, in addition to those, in addition to genealogical slavery, we have a proof of how, and I was using it as an example of how people that might have been white that got caught up in that neighborhood anyway, in addition to the black folks who got all of their future equity destroyed, that's the only distinction I was making is that those particular white people from that neighborhood could go pick up their pieces and move on and be accepted back into society and get insurance and get rent and buy houses. The black people were cut out of that forever after their houses and equity in businesses that they owned was stolen. That's what the only distinction I was making. I have used that exact argument to folks about it's not every person who had black it's not just about race. It's not about recent immigrants from African countries and it's not about island folks who have come here. I've said that exact same thing. That's the only distinction I was making. Okay. Well thank you so much for that, Lance. My bad. I want to make sure I bring in Ashura. Because Ashura, aren't you originally from Haiti? Yes. Okay. What's your take on all this? Um, there was too much info, so you gotta have to give me one question. Give me a question, I'll answer it. Because there's sure like Sabrina, I've been waiting for three hours. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, first and foremost, what do you think about this new movement that Shama Sawant is starting? I didn't. This, I didn't um, worker strikes back. I didn't want. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, basically, watch the segment too much. Um, but I did get the. I did get the part that she's leaving, and I think that is that a good idea for her to leave? Because I don't know who, if they, she has a replacement, is she going to have the same type of energy that she has? Because I'm pretty sure Amazon is like uh, rubbing their fingers, basically saying, "Oh, oh, she's go she's going out." That means that their their ace ace in the hole is gone. Well, Case did ask that question. Case, didn't you? Case, weren't you the one that sent a, a super chat asking would another socialist replace her? I think that was you. Yeah, yeah, the app is acting a little buggy. It took me a while to get off mute. But, yes, that was me, and that was one of my concerns. And, and that's actually one of my concerns overall with the socialist alternative. I wish that they had, and I think I might have brought this up in a past call, and I wish they had, like, a press secretary, someone that would go on various shows every couple of weeks that, so we become familiar with how they work and their inner workings, because one of my concerns was why they never multiplied uh, Shama Swan. Like, um, and I'm yeah. not them at all. Uh, this is just something that I'm trying to take note and trying to learn from in the sense of how do they build up leaders in their organization? Do they have leadership classes? Um, obviously, they did an excellent job by picking uh, Shama as one, one for office, but did they have? Did they build a bench? Like while she was even in office right now, were they trying to run in other areas? Like that was a concern. So definitely, I I'm happy that she's leaving. Cause, but the worry that I had was that leaves a vacuum for uh, socialists to or the socialists. Um, what's the word I'm trying to say? That's going to leave a, a a vacuum 
for socialist activism on that city council. That's what I want to say. And I already saw in the chat somebody replied to me um, that an establishment is already about to run for that same seat. So that we're definitely there's going to be a huge void, and hopefully they don't pull back all the advances that she made. So yeah, that's right. the concerns that I have. Just one, one detail said, I'm to throw in there: she's um, she's staying until December end of her term. Yeah, yeah, yep. she'll still she'll still be there for the rest of this year. But um, the response that she gave tonight was that the organization would select someone, just like they selected her. Um, but okay. case to Case's point, why weren't there more Shama Sawants in other cities where there's socialist alternative? That's a good question. Um, one thing I, I have noticed uh, when I did, when we did interview socialist alternative on RBN, they were part of our activist summit and it was Shama and it was other socialist alternative members. If you guys haven't seen that uh, episode, you should definitely watch it. Because that episode was 100% about them explaining how socialist alternative works. And one of the things they explained is that they were not a political organization. They were an organization to mobilize the people and to get things done on the ground. And if it so happened that they felt that there was someone who should run for office, then the organization would put forth that person. That's how Shama was selected. She didn't want to be a politician. She didn't want to run, but they said, no, you're the best person to do it. So that's how she got that seat. But the other thing I want to remind people too, I know some people are disappointed she's stepping down, but Shama Sawan has been there for 10, she's been in that seat for 10 years. So just FYI, some of us have just heard about her the past couple of years, but she has been in that seat for 10 years. So she's been there a decade, um, just to keep that in mind, but go ahead and share I guess, I guess the uh, fight with Amazon has a bit tired her up. I mean, <laughs> every time it's like Amazon this, Amazon that. I guess she wants a break from Amazon. I mean, she's done her fight. I mean, who who's going to follow up on that? She, yeah, she's done. Have you guys ever got to a point, like, in your life, whether it was just um, your career or maybe it's on, it's your personal life, right? Have you ever got to that point where you've kind of done everything that you could do and now it's time for you to move on to something else and it's up to somebody else to take the reins i think it's that moment i remember when i first saw her when she won um when she won her first election this was back in my um msnbc days and lawrence o'donnell had her on because lawrence o'donnell is, is like you know he's always socialist crazy pretty much you know he, he was always oh a, a socialist yes let's you know let's interview her and i remember it was funny because after that interview i never seen her again until until you guys you know until you know independent media it was like years went by and um yeah it was it is about 10 years it was 2013 yeah I just, I, I want to add something quickly. I, I promise I'll be very quick. Um, I want to like step a little bit back from the whole reparations thing and just kind of explain my logic outside of that. Um, because I remember when I made the very big mistake of trying to get people to vote for Bernie. Um, I had a black friend who was a very loyal Democrat and he, reparations was his top number one issue, right? And, I, you know, it's the biggest issue for them. Like in my area, I can tell you right up front, 
it might be either that or amnesty for 12 million undocumented immigrants. People literally won't go out if that position is not in the platform. So, and it could be something else, you know, maybe homelessness. But they still go out, though. Well, like maybe for like since the since the platform says affordable housing and not housing for all, you know, you're homeless. That's your number one position. You know, that's what you need fixed right away. So I think where I'm coming from is just noticing how people are like the way we analyze things sometimes is we try to be act like political experts and be like, you know, 70% of the population agrees with this and 80% agrees with that. But I feel, and what I've noticed in my daily life is, okay, maybe 80% of the population won't agree with this, but you'll have 20% of the population that really, really agrees with it. And they'll really be on board with this thing. So I feel like it's almost more important to have all in support, even if some people might not be totally into it, than to take this approach that's like, I'm going to survey everyone and see if they're on board. You could have 99% of people in the country on board the most neutral position you could come up with, but they might not be totally willing to go out and like help you and put money in and, and go out and support. So I feel like it's more important to have that like wholehearted support, even if it's a smaller portion of the population, because it's going to hit their number one issue and they're going to be excited and they're going to go out and they're going to support and they're going to do something. It's really hard to get people to go out and do something. So that that's where I'm coming from and what I've seen. Um, I feel like, yeah, you can, you can come up with some neutral, nice sounding position that 98% of the population will agree with, but if those people are going to sit at home anyway, they're going to expect somebody else to do the work. It doesn't really matter. So anyway, that's it. That, that's um, that's a good point, Lucy. Um, on the question I, of... Uh, I wanted to bring you back in. Go ahead. On the question of reparations, uh, you, you, many times you brought up Haiti and somehow you basically don't think that the United States owes Haiti some form of reparations. I'm not talking about the slave reparations. I'm talking about the other shenanigans they've been doing over the years. Well, no, I, I did. I did just say a couple of minutes ago, I said, okay. actually, people could argue that the U.S. does owe Haiti some form of reparations because Woodrow Wilson took over the institutions, which included the banks. Yeah, because uh, there's another country uh, when you when you talk about U.S., you mention you always mention France, but you always you, you don't mention the other country, basically, uh, uh, which is Spain, because we were brought in first by the Spaniards. And then the French came in and they gave, they just gave us ownership to the French. And then they decided to split the country in half. Well, two thirds, by the way, they took two thirds and the French got one third of the country. So it's like three countries that would probably owe us reparations, the U S France and uh, Spain. Okay. I didn't know about Spain. So that's new to me, but oh, oh, Spain's uh, it's, it's in the, it's in the history books. They, they bring, they talk about Christopher Columbus being the guy who brought us to Haiti. Yeah, it wasn't in my history books, but this really? is this is something I learn every every listen. We learn something they never, new every time. <laughs> they never told you that Christopher Columbus was the guy who basically discovered Haiti. It's, it's in every history Haitian history book. He discovered Haiti. I don't remember yeah. reading he discovered Haiti. Well, that's what it says in the history uh, history books. They he discovered it, 
he went there. He was the one that basically uh, told the slaves to basically make huts. Well, he basically was there. It's it's in the history books. I don't really Mm. try to go deep into it as I am in my adult age, but there's a bunch of fucking lies when you think about it. Like even the primary books I was reading as a kid and the so-called, the way it was written, it was written not to basically criticize white people. Well, I guess that doesn't surprise me that Columbus was involved with Haiti either. <laughs> I guess that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, um, and, and, and and they always made sure for you to know just who basically is in charge. They always put the white man first in the history books, and then they go to the black man, and then they tell you about the other races. They they, they tell you that there's four learn, races. I'll be honest with you, Ashura. I didn't learn as much about Haiti in school. What I Most of what I learned about Haiti was on my own. Like we okay. learned about the Haitian rebellion. Like that was in the history books. We did learn about that. Um, but I didn't learn as, as much about it. Yeah. Sure. Cause, uh, oh, my bad. No, I, I was, see, I was taught that um, Columbus really went to the Bahamas at first. Oh, actually, no, it was his. Cuba. I was oh. told it was Cuba. Oh, if, if you if, if you hear about Columbus, they say he gets lost many times. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He gets oh. lost many times, and he ends up in another country. And so then he, he was, so it was Joe Biden uh, driving the ship. Yeah, it was old Joe. Somehow, oh, you guys are a trip. So, somehow, old Joe is the crib keeper. He's still alive after all these years. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing that. I Joe wouldn't Biden be surprised if Joe Biden is more. Christopher Columbus in reality. I'm still laughing at the video I saw of Joe Biden where he uh, was at the black the church. church and he was just. Well, I haven't there. seen the video. I haven't seen the video. I, I think I saw a couple of clips, but it was it was Nick and Jimmy just commenting on it, and he started <laughs> fucking lying. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you, I'm like, people in the back, the chorus people, aren't you gonna say anything? Anything? This guy says, oh, I've been to black churches. When? On your presidential runs, that's the only times he gets to do a black church. And then they, they show, they'll show a clip of Joe Biden just lying over and over again. And then he repeats the same lies. I've mm-hmm. been to black churches. I've marched with Martin Luther King. I was there in the civil rights movement. And, and he, he basically, every year, he basically makes a new version of it. <laughs> I still remember, I remember the first time I took my husband, we were still dating at that point the first time i took my husband to a black church we were visiting my parents in south carolina and my mom goes to a black church and she invited (laughs) she said you guys should come with me and i tried to forewarn him like okay just give you an idea it's gonna be a little bit different than what you're used to yeah right and i tried to tell him people dance and sing and all that kind of stuff and he was like oh that sounds cool and we got there and the music start playing. And you know, there's always the old lady with the hat. There's always that one yeah, old lady with the that hat. Was my grandma. We got those two. She want to dance across the floor and stuff. And my husband was just like, wow. <laughs> the scene it's, it's, from, the, remember the uh, scene from the Blues Brothers? Yep. <laughs> so James Brown. My dad was like, it's not my dad, but my husband was like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. He was like, if church was like this when I was growing up, I would have actually liked it. <laughs> I mean, but it's the same thing in the Haitian churches. Like, it's always wild in the Haitian churches. Like, we're, we're very, we're religious, but we dance a lot in those churches. And I feel like a lot of white people who've never been to black churches, 
they never thought that the churches would be that lively compared to when you watch it on TV. The churches, when you see white people, they sound completely, they look completely boring. There's some, there's some that are different because like, um, at least in North Carolina, they had like a lot of non-denominational churches where it's just kind of like, they're not Methodist. They're not Catholic. There's, it's just non-denominational. And they have like a band. Like I went to one when I was in high school, I guess you could call it white church. The pastor was white, but it was, it was multiracial actually, but the pastor was white, but the people would call it the white church. Anyway, like they had a band, like they had like electric guitar and like everything. And like, it was like, for real, like, I was like, this is, I was like, I feel like I'm at a rock concert. Like it was, it was very different. But, but then if I went to like church with some of my friends and they went to like Methodist church or Episcopalian church, I it was so, I, I went to mass one time with my friend. She was like, come to mass with me. She was trying to convert me to be Catholic. That was an interesting uh, journey. But anyway, she was like, come to mass. Guys, I went to mass and I was like, um, where's the music? And she was like, this is the music. I was like, aren't we supposed to stand up and sing? Like, I was so confused. And so she was just like, well, no, this is what it is. And I said, okay, you have to go to church with me. I took her to church with me one Sunday and she was like, oh my God, <laughs> like it's a total different thing. It's so if you're, thing. so if you're, if you're a specific preacher, a sp I mean, a specific, uh, well, preacher, not preacher of religion, basically a follower of religion, it, 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 there's no music there, there are some churches that will have music. There are churches that will not have music. I mean, all types of, uh, religious people, basically in our culture, basically they, they all do music. We all dance like crazy yes. in, in the church. The church. But it seems like some churches don't don't have, don't have music. music. It feels like it's the perfect, some of them don't. perfect place for me to go slide ahead, in ahead, right now. Uh, my point tonight is actually a solution. It's a mutual aid project that I have for everyone here and all over the world. So what's up, my fellow humans? And I think we can all agree that the music industry has been weaponized against us. So I suggest the uh my way of contributing to the rage against the war machine movement was to come up with some political uh anti-war songs to take the power back in that way and uh i came up with one today like i had one written already about greg abbott it's all right it's not that great but then today i rewrote uh scrubs to be about donald trump that came out great and I could play that for you all if you want, but I recommend everyone just start using chat GPT to generate song lyrics. If, if you can't do it yourself, you know, use that as a starting place and start generating some anti-war songs. You could send them to me. I'll turn them into music. And um, I encourage, you know, maybe reaching out to Tom Morello would be cool. And Akala, Immortal Technique, Dead Prez, you know, um, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, all these guys, I think they'll they'll tell you similar stories about how the, the industry has been weaponized. There's all kinds of weird stuff about like Jay-Z and Epstein Island and stuff. And I think if we keep pulling on those threads, uh, that'll really disrupt their narrative at the same time. And this is a fun project. It doesn't cost a dime. Um, I mean, it took me one day to come up with one song. It slaps, you know. Uh, well, I was just going to say, well, I was just gonna I'm still, um, I'm still uh, a little bit 
taken aback by the video you sent me earlier with uh, uh Jaguar White, the woman talking about the music industry and about Tevin Campbell and R. Kelly. And by the way, you sent me that video, but after you sent me that video, I went down a rabbit hole and I started to look for other interviews that she gave about other musicians. And I was like, holy shit. That's the only one I've seen so far. There's several on YouTube. Roger, have you heard of, uh, I think that's her name, Jaguar White. She's yeah, this she woman. She was a musician. For, um, the Roots. I, I saw her a couple of times. Yes. The first have time you I, seen her interviews? I stopped, I stopped watching it because after a while, I was just like, okay, it seems like she's trying to carry this on a little bit further to be the next Wendy Williams. But I think, but I think she came back because at first she was getting on... Um, What's her name? Moni Love. Mm -hmm. This is a couple of years ago, whatever the case is. You know, well, telling. Tell go ahead. The one Brady the one sent me today, today was about was Tevin Campbell. It was recent. What about him being gay? About how he was pimped out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe I, I, I know about that. Listen, I can't watch anymore. I, see, this was my fault. He Wait, sent me one video and Marvel. I went down a rabbit hole. Marvel. He said, like, did y'all hear about the X-Men thing? How that, that kid was in the hot tub with the guy that was making the Marvel X-Men movies? I heard about that too. I, listen, I heard, listen I heard Brady about sent me that one video. It's my fault. After that video, I went down the rabbit hole and I shouldn't have done that. And <laughs> after I saw like these, these interview clips of her talking about people in the music industry and what mm -hmm. they were doing to people, I was like yeah. in a fetal position. I was like, what the fuck have I been yeah, listening yeah. to? Yeah, oh, did yeah. you know that the, the, your Ms. Marvel show that you talked about on Twitter, one of the, one of the actors is involved with some pedophilia shit. <laughs> the guy who was Kamala, Kamala Khan's father, who played Kamala Khan's father. Yeah, it's parents, apparently he was grooming this, this girl for like five years, two, three to five years. And Are he, you serious? Yeah, he he sent her. Uh, now too. He sent her a picture of his dick. <laughs> Sounds like Celine Dion's husband. What the hell is wrong with people in Hollywood? Then he's denying it wasn't. It wasn't too protected. And then you have his wife basically knows about it. Then the, the wife went after the, the the victim, saying that she's putting this shit on her. It's, she's trying to put like <clears throat> pressure on her to basically come out. I mean, it, it, it's it's disgusting. I can't, you guys. That, I can't believe the show. Can you get them on the show? Like, as, I, as, as I was as I was basically um, hearing this, I just got a news today. Like Us Usain Bolt just lost twelve million dollars in some fucking shit that's going on in his country, Jamaica. Some bank took about twelve million dollars in his bank. He made he made an investment, and the twelve million dollars were just gone yesterday. And he's he's left with what thousand dollars. Oh my oh. God! Listen, we're gonna talk about Alec Baldwin tomorrow night oh about uh, his uh, his indictment. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, by the way, do you mm -hmm. do you have like a Bank of America? Nobody shops with no, nobody has a Bank of America account. I do not have Bank of America. They okay. apparently apparently there's some, there's some shit going on where they're stealing people's money. Like there's That's a woman. The first time. <laughs> There's a woman in, 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 in some country, Jamaica, 
Basically, bitch, like, oh my god, man, go. She's on TikTok. Everyone, she's like, I, I got money. That they took my money. They, he's like screaming, tell it to everybody. Bank of America stealing people's money. I'm like, yep. where's this money going? Is this are they sending it to Ukraine or some shit? Are y'all familiar with Reverend Billy? This guy held Thanksgiving in a Bank of America for a homeless woman that had her house foreclosed on by Bank of America. So this man took her into a Bank of America. They had Thanksgiving dinner right there with this woman in Bank of America, filmed the whole thing, put it on the Internet. This guy is probably, I think, one of the coolest. He exemplifies the idea that I just dropped of uh, dropping some revolutionary anti-capitalist music and weaponizing the music industry against them. And so he has the Church of Stop Shopping. Some of you might be familiar with this already. But I encourage everyone to watch this documentary every year around Christmas and encourage everyone to stop shopping as much as possible. And But he takes a choir in a church around the nation and does all these radical like protests. Like he'll go to a Walmart and just start singing anti-capitalist songs in the middle of Walmart. And then like he'll go to a Starbucks and try to like exercise the, the cash register, like exercise demons out of the cash register. And so... This is the church that we should all be joining right now. It's the Church of Stop Shopping. So just Google that. Thank me later. And then um, just wanted to float one more idea. I'm leaving a positive note. You know, What happens if and you try to exercise uh, the cash register? Does it just vomit money? Oh, hopefully. At, right, at the, right at the workers. Yes. <laughs> let's, bring in, um, <laughs> let's bring in Michael. Michael, you just have to unmute your speaker. Just want to get your take on all of this. You've been so patient. Welcome. Hello, hello, everybody. How you doing? Doing great. Good, good. Um, yeah. Um, actually, I think the the idea of you know reclaiming cultural spaces is really neat because I think um, one of the insights that um, again I'm going to go back to Vietnam is that you know culture is really important. Right? It really informs our values. So. You know, having music out there and, um, you know, other forms of art would be really, really amazing because they really own that space right now. Um, parallel to that, I also wanted to do a science fiction at some point that, like, kind of did what Star Trek used to do, but that's sort of a big project and not really important right now. But, yeah, in principle, I think that's a great idea. Um, and I just wanted to say I'm super excited about uh, Shama because... Uh, I mean, I've been following her forever. I think she's the real deal. I think, you know, it's 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 what we need. It's made me a lot more hopeful than uh, I've been for a little while. Um, and yeah, I just kind of hope that, you know, we can kind of work together across the border on this because that was how these movements were successful in the past. Like that's why, you know, movements like the Wobblies were destroyed because, you know, like uh, before, all this like 20 years ago i used to collaborate with the the local wobblies around here and well they weren't that effective anymore in their current iteration you know in the past they really had been key that sort of international workers movement is really important and i think um like canada and the u.s are kind of bound geopolitically like we're, we really we have the same kind of destiny and we also have the same culture and the same interests fundamentally Mm-hmm. And like, to be perfectly honest, like, like when we go back to that, uh, the truckers protest, you know, we, we need to work with 
movements in America, and we need to like support them because it you know what happens there has a lot to do with what happens over here, and uh, yeah, so that's just really exciting. And I'm really excited about Case's uh, uh, mutual aid party because I think um, you know again the lessons from Vietnam is it's not you know whatever system people devise has to be has to arise from like the culture and the conditions in that society, right? So like. If, if that's a system that makes sense to people there, then yeah, that's, that's awesome. And like, we need multiple systems to, to work with each other, each other. and, and to support, support each, each other. other. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys and, think that's, about that's yeah. my Um, really quick. Um, oops, I lost a share. Let me bring her back in. Um, really quick. You're in Canada and so is Ashura. Can, can either one of you explain this to me? Does Canada have a minimum wage? And if so, what is it? I'm just curious. What is it in U.S. dollars, I should say? Oh, in U.S. dollars, that's a good question. Uh, uh, do you have minimum I, wage? I, 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 I work in a building. I work in a building, and um, one of the uh, cleaners basically says he's getting, as of right now, $16.90. and $16.90. $16.90. And he says his contract is supposed to basically extend it up to eighteen dollars in three years. That's that's in CAD though, right? Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Canadian. CAD? All right, let me do the math. Let me do the um. But it's not uh, just to make sure. Just to make sure you understand, he told me that depending on Ontario and Quebec, Quebec may decide to basically make it a higher wage than Ontario. So in some places it might be much higher, and it depends where you're working. Like if you're working though, so like a like a building or a hospital, hospital they, they pay more. I can ask while Sabi's getting that um, calculation, Ashura. Um, yeah. So the way, you, of course, you guys have universal health care, but I'm curious about your dental care. Uh, how oh, that, that, uh, dental care? There's no there's no dental care. You gotta have to go through insurance. Like when I go to the data point, yeah. I was saying that. How how prevalent or how does a lot of people have a dental care up there through their? No, there's no dental care. You have to get through insurance. So when I go, when I had my uh, teeth pulled out, my dentist was like, uh, "Do you have insurance?" I'm like, "No," so I have to pay out of pocket. And uh, mm -hmm. then she told me uh, after basically taking out the tooth, she said, uh, "Okay, uh, here's a receipt, and you can just declare that as an income for pulling my teeth out." Um, let me just say something really quick. I'm sorry. I was talking and I was muted the whole time. <laughs> I feel silly. Um, that 1690. Yeah. That Ashura mentioned in CAD is $12.56 U.S. dollars. Just FYI. How much is it if it's at $18? At 18. $18. CAD. To USD thirteen dollars and thirty seven cents. So it, it so it depends on the it yeah. depends on the uh, where you are working exactly. So the it's hospitals still, pay more. It's still more than seven dollars and twenty five cents, though, Ashura. Uh, what about your what about insurance? I got two insurances, and you know how much basically it costs me to pay per month forty three dollars. One is for you get it through your job. Like no. how we get healthcare through our job? No, no, I, I don't try to do it like that because I know that if I if I if I if I get kicked out, um, basically I lose the benefits. 
Mm-hmm. So I have to, uh, so I have to get one. It's 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 it's, it's basically low priced. It's from an American company. I just pay two two different ones, and then I get it for a total of forty three dollars per month. Mm. I, I just got one question before I pass the mic to Dave. Yeah, one's for like uh, accidental death if I die, and the other one's for like uh, chiropractor. But I've never, I haven't used that. I think I've had it like for like six years, and I've never went to a chiropractor or anything. So I pay forty three dollars per month. So Yoga these ball. are these are add-ons. These are not the a part of the universal health care that you get. No, no. Wow. Yeah. Pay, like Netflix, like how I pay Netflix, like, you know, for once a month. That's how separate it is from your job. Like you just pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just pick what I wanted. I just pick what I wanted from the insurance company. And they made, they gave me a low price. It's an American company, by the way. So they know not to fuck with us if they want to do business in Canada. So it's like I said, uh, one for accidental death. I think it's one's at eighteen, the other one's at twenty-five. And by the way, Sabs, I, I clipped a uh, clip from your uh, Sharma interview, and uh, is getting some good traction already. So I just wanted to. It was the clip. It was very powerful. So I said I had to clip this one as soon as I heard it. When she said, um, she said how the DSA does not hold the squad accountable. Therefore, the squad does not hold Pelosi and Biden accountable, and then that's why they don't work for the working families. And I was like, wow, when she said that, that was profound to me. Oh, Case, you already got me on Twitter. Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. One, one thing I'll say, Sabi, is uh, every time you guys mention that um, you say that it's, uh, the healthcare is government-funded, I think you need to be clear about it that it's taxpayer funded because if it was government funded, mm-hmm. they, would have, they, would, they would have to roll out, roll out like a mental coin, some shit like in America. Like you said, in America, they could just pay for everything if they just minted a coin. But I, but I do think, um, not, not everyone can basically have the amount of money needed to do an operation. I think the government just basically looks at your income and basically say, okay, he's not going to be able to pay everything. So we're just going to, because he's a taxpayer, so we'll just let it slide and just pay the rest for him. Because mm. I, I, I never have to pay anything. I just walk in and just give them my health card because they know whether or not I stay at the hospital or not, they still get their money. I don't know what that's like, Ashura. My mom, my parents know what that's like, actually. I mean, I was a kid at the time, but my parents know what that's like because in Germany, like, it was a similar thing. Like, you just don't have to. There is no... I have to get this bill when I go in the emergency room, you know, like, so when my mom had my sister, if I'm remembering correctly, this is a long time ago, my mom had my sister, she didn't make it to base. They didn't Wait, is it. your sister German or something? My sister was born in Germany. Oh, damn. She's um, lucky. She just go, go back right now. <laughs> yeah. She's talked about that often. Like, um, she, she didn't make it to base to the base hospital. Um, so they had her in the, she had my sister in the German hospital, but there was no bill. Well, they're not going to do that. They have a uh, universal health care. So they know, they know not to fuck with the the people. So they've, they've made it so to the point where the government does knows that they're not gonna, you're not going to pay for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the U S that's like this. Yeah. When so, I first had my first daughter, we got a bill for a thousand dollars. You know, and you know, and I have insurance. You know, <laughs> and they, how old, they how old is your daughter now, Case? Twelve. She's you know how much it costs old. now? How much? A lot more than a thousand dollars, according to oh my, my friends. God. 
Yeah. And that's with insurance. So I hope, mm-hmm. I don't know if your friends even have insurance. They you know do. what you know what's oh, fucked wow. up? I heard that uh, if you if you gave birth to a baby and you want to hold your baby, you have to pay for it. I don't know. I don't know if yeah, my mom that. had to do that because mm-hmm. my last brother. I have two brothers. Like both of them were born outside the U.S. They were one was born in Canada, and I don't know if she ever even paid to touch him because I was like, wait, why would you? Why would you have to ask somebody to <laughs> money to basically hold his own kid? I'm like, now I heard about that too. To pay? First of all, why do you have to pay to have a child anyway? Because mm-hmm. you are producing a human being that's going to do labor in this country. Mm-hmm. So why do you have to pay to have a kid? I guess it's the doctor you're paying for, for the doctor to make sure everything's okay. And if there's any complications and then the location. But if I was to go back in time, I would have both my kids do, I think they call it a Abdullah, Abdullah, where you can have it in your house and they give you like a small little pool and you mm-hmm. give birth inside of a pool. Like my wife is a very strong woman. She she didn't even take any pain um sedation. <gasps> so, yeah, she didn't even take any of that. So uh, if we could go back in time, we both because they're both special needs now, and you always hear about vaccines, anti-vax, and we have our speculate. I don't want to confirm and say, oh yeah, it was definitely the vaccines, but I was like, if we could go back in time, we would. Do Did you ever things. celebrate Christmas in Germany, uh, Sabi? Yeah, many years. Uh, you, ever heard of, you ever heard of somebody called Black Pete? I did hear about Black Pete. Oh, shit. I, I was going to send you the video. And I just heard about it, like, in December. A guy that I talk with, and he's like, you don't know about Black Pete? Like, Who the fuck is Black Pete? It's like Black Pete is like Santa's helper. And what does he do? Oh, he beats the naughty kids yeah. <laughs> on that list. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, who, who, who is he? Is he a black guy? Yeah, he's a black guy. He beats the white kids who basically are naughty. I'm like, oh my god, it's a fucking stereotype. And then you hear that there's some people, some people in in these German, you know, Switzerland, whatever the fuck, every December they go blackface. All of mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm like, really? Blackface on Christmas? Well, wow. here's here's the thing. Um, we used to put our shoes outside the door. And I, I used to continue this, like, when we moved back to the States, I used to practice this still. And, like, nobody in America really got it. They were like, why are you putting your shoes out? We used to put our shoes outside, outside the door. Outside and, the door? Cold door? Or you're talking about outside, like, a inside the door, but there's another door on the inside. No, outside the door. And they would put, like, like we wake up in the morning, Christmas morning, and there would be candy in our shoes. That that's like a German thing. That's a that's a German thing. Like you put your shoes outside the door Christmas Eve, and you wake up the next morning, and there'll be candy and stuff in your shoes. Wow! So, wow. Say something. Say something German, Sabby. Um, and Shalusi Bitta. I don't know that much of it anymore. It's been a long <laughs> That means the dead walk at night. <laughs> this is from like Anne Rice book. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Sab, you're gonna make you're gonna make Jimmy very jealous. Uh, I hear you're gonna have Claire Daly on the show. Shh, you weren't supposed to announce that, Ashura. <laughs> you're the one who said that. Sabby, you you're the one that said that. You were the one I that did? said that. Yeah, you spilled yes. it on your show. Yeah. Hey guys. Oh, I got that? one question. You said that on your show. You said we're gonna have Claire. Daly. I think it was the day before or today. Oh, Jimmy was be so fucking jealous when he sees that video. It's like, how the fuck did the get her? 
I, I, I said that on stream. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I heard it. I'm trying to remember where. But you did Damn. say it. I think, yeah, I think you it was like, you said it was going to be at a at an off time. Yeah. Yeah, you, I think you said, oh. Oh, that was on RBN Live. Damn, I wasn't supposed to reveal that yet. Oh, Jimmy's going to be jazzed. Jimmy likes to put all these videos about these, uh, uh these, uh, it's, no, it's not German, right? It's, uh, where's she from again? UK. Swift? UK. UK. Is that UK? Yeah, but I, I thought Jimmy Claire hasn't Daly? had her on yet. Claire Daly. I'm pretty sure it's not UK she's from. I think she's from some Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, Ireland. Yeah, because <laughs> Jimmy likes her videos. Oh, I'm pretty sure Jimmy's going to have to. He's, he, he, you're gonna have to make Jimmy do some some some, some feats for you to get to get Claire Daly on his show. Jimmy can have your sloppy seconds. <laughs> so, so, oh man! I'm gonna give you. Um, have you ever heard of uh, this group back in the '80s? It was called Craftwork, and it began with the K, and you replaced the O with the with the E, right? And they had a song called Numbers. And, you know, thank God for the internet because back, it, it was kind of like that whole, it was, it was like one of them songs that was kind of like associated with, with hip hop, but it, it wasn't necessarily um, um, hip hop. Right. And whenever they would come on, I'm like, what in the world are they saying? So just recently I looked up on the internet, the song is called numbers. And what they do is they say, they say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or one, two, three, four in different languages. So they would show they're saying it in, in German, and then they would show that they're saying it in French, and then they show some saying it in all these other different, uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, Spanish. In, in case, in case anyone go, it, it went like, so the, the German one would come on and they would just go, I, I can't do German, but who's heish, who's heish, nine, who's hung, something like that. And, hear, and then you'd hear a Spanish person go, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. And then who's heish, heish, nine, who's heish, 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 uno. And then, and then they would go into other different languages. Um, uh, what was the other one? And for, for, for the longest, I'm like, what are they saying? And, you know, if it wasn't for the internet, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that that was it, the song. Is just called numbers. It's just saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in different what? languages. Are yep. they friends with Brian McKnight? Do you remember Brian McKnight had no, that song from where the he was 80s. like, "This is oh. this is from like eighty one or eighty two. Brian but McKnight when, had a song where he was counting two. He's like one. You're like a dream come true. No, two, no, 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 no. The only thing that they were saying were numbers, and that's the same. That's the name of the song. Well, hell, I could have wrote that song. And they made a ton load of money. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Yeah, I, mean, I have one more question. question. I'm bringing Dave. Write some songs. Yeah, just one question is: What do you guys think about um? the idea of a government party or like a political party that acts as a proxy government in and of itself to exact mutual aid projects. So it's both a political party and it's a mutual aid project and it's a proxy government all in one. It could even act as its own proxy bank. It could have its own proxy clinics, its own proxy schools long-term, you know, well, that's Proxy what Kate. Farms. Well, that's what Kate is. That sounds like what Kate sounds like trying to do with the mutual aid political party. Yep. 
Oh, it's like a political party style now. We're going mutual aid and political party. Yeah, it's the mutual aid political party. He talked about it a little bit earlier, but that's what it sounds like. Right on, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Heck yeah, I'm glad we're all on board. And then I think the step beyond that would be a planetary proxy. So like a, a people's alternative to the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the Vatican, etc. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about uh, the World Economic Forum tomorrow night. All right. Well, there's the well, World Social the Forum. Be with you. There's the World Social Forum. Yeah, I heard there's a, 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 a communist social forum, a kind of communist uh, organization that was doing something like that. Yeah, it's been and going so, on for a long time. Uh, it meets all over the place. There's meetings in Montreal and such. I don't know when the next one is, but that's a good one to pay attention to. Yeah, sounds like they could there. use some fresh air. Some some uh, some new young blood. All right. Sure well, thanks true. so thanks so much, Brady. I want to go ahead and bring in Dave because I know Dave's been waiting a while too. What's going on, Dave? You just have to unmute. What's your take on all of this? How are you feeling? If you're still with us, I know it's been a long time. It's been a while. You guys remember that song? Who sang that song? Nickelback. That song was overplayed. Yes. Huh? Yeah, it was Nick. Who sang that? It was Nickelback. And I'm sorry. Was that Nickelback? Yeah. Yeah, it was Nickelback. It's on like every 25 minutes. And they're Albertan too. So I'm No, sorry. The, the people in the chat are saying it was Aaron Lewis. What? It's been a while? Am I the, it's oh, been okay, a while. Am I thinking of a different song? Okay, there, there's a Nickelback song that does that too. Oh, yeah. I, Nickelback is like, you know, look. I want Nickelback to know, if I ever had a chance to speak to them, that you can get your point across without screaming at me. Like, you don't have to start off every song screaming at me. I don't need you to yell at me and say, look at this photograph. You could just say, look at this photograph. No, Nickelback has to be like, look at this photograph. I'm like, okay. I, I don't remember get it. Donald Trump's Donald Trump 2020. <laughs> they tried to talk about the Hunter Biden thing. <laughs> like, look at this photograph. You see, uh, once <laughs> you see Hunter Biden, <laughs> it's like they, 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 they bad, they bad the ad. <laughs> oh, that shit was funny. <laughs> it just makes me sad. Oh, They're still my around. God. Like, his collective yeah. soul, uh, collective soul is still around too, still making around. terrible music. music. Terrible music. Roger, you have an echo. Sabrina. Yep. Yep. All right. Can you hear this? Yeah, but you have it. <laughs> That's how the song went. What was that? That was that was craft work numbers. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask how you know about this group, Roger. I'm not gonna go there and ask that question. Oh, they. they <laughs> Played it. It was a it was a big hit in the eighties. The all the oh all the hip hop DJs used to play it. What? Yeah, do, yeah, you song, do you guys remember there was this song? I think it was from the eighties. Insane. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It sounds it's cool. devil worship. 
Titanic Titanic shit behind the scenes when he gets home. <laughs> it sounds scary. Do you got Roger, you might remember this one or anybody. Do you remember the song from the eighties where it was the, the boys? The boys were in the video and they were singing, Pass the Duchies and let what is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah, that was musical you the Duchy the Duchy to the left hand, hand side. Yeah. Pass the Duchy yeah. to the left hand side. Oh. I don't know what they were saying, but that part. <laughs> it's a classic. Younger people in the chat are probably like, what the hell was happening in the 80s? Ashura's got it. All right, Ashura. <laughs> I didn't know what those kids were saying, but it sounded like a pretty cool song. You ever tried basically put it on subtitles? Maybe look at it again? I can try that. I can go there. I can do it. There were there were a lot of different 80s people like uh, I wonder where they are today. <laughs> I wonder where they are today. Who was the guy's name? Who was the guy who kind of he kind of looked like Prince a little bit. And he had that song, um, that Sign Your Name song. Terrence Trent Darby. That's who it was. What happened to that guy? I don't know. His ego ran away with him. You guys are learning some stuff tonight. Terrence Trent Darby, he had the song Sign Your Name Across My Heart. That song was the jam. Nobody sings like that today. I put it in in the chat for everyone. Sign your name across my heart. <laughs> Want you to be my baby. Shoo wop wop. Listen, everybody, go watch that video for real. Yeah. Roger Meadows put the link in the chat. <laughs> I'm gonna check it out. Nah, he put the no, link no, in numbers, but I brought up the sign your name. I'm gonna check that out later tonight at work. <laughs> Terrence Trent Darby, man. He had another song too. I don't want to call him a one-hit wonder because there was another hit he had, but I can't remember it. So, do you have any updates on the artists on your art in Boston right now? No, is it Boston? Yeah, I think it was Boston. The, the MLK thing. So, what are they gonna do about it? You're not gonna melt it down? No. Oh, so that shit stands. Okay. Look, let me tell you something. I was vocal about that shit on every social media platform. I was vocal about it on LinkedIn. I was vocal about it on Twitter, on on everyone. And like, uh, Dr. Uh, What's his name? Shit. I forgot him. I don't work at BU no more. You guys know Dr. Kendi? Dr. Kendi, um, Kendi Ibram. He's been on like um, John Oliver show. He's been on the daily show. Like he started the anti-racist center at BU. Yeah. He wrote a whole book about, about how to be anti-racist. Yeah. Dr. Kendi was on LinkedIn praising that statue and he got ate up in the fucking comments. And I was, let me tell you something. I was one of the people and I told him, I was like, this is some, basically long story short, this is some bullshit. Let me make this very clear. And I put this on Twitter. If you can put a face on Paul Revere's statue, you can put a face on Bobby Orr's statue, who Bobby Orr was just a hockey player. Let's just be real. Keep calling it what it is. You can put a face on 
Tony Marchione's uh, uh, statue in the North End, who was a boxer. But when it comes to MLK in the city, you can't put his damn head on the statue. We got a problem. I was I was expecting a bunch of petitions to be signed to tear that to melt that shit down. Like apparently, if you just say it's MLK, people will come at the altar and worship, and don't care how it looks. I mean, if they if they the artist was on uh, what is it? Good Morning America, Wake Up America, something like that. The artist was on one of the morning shows and he was defending his work and like the family approved it. And then the clip of that they show of the family approving it was Martin Luther King Jr. the third, who's neoliberal capitalist shill. He's nothing like his father, by the way. I don't think Dr. King would have been too happy with that statue. The fuck? You cut me and my wife's heads off the statue? <laughs> So was was yeah, King's was King's full name the second? So he's the third now. That's Martin Luther King Jr. the third. I, I think that's the third, if I'm not mistaken. Martin Luther King Jr. He's from, the uh, second. From, from when King the third was talking to Don Lemon on CNN, he's quoted here saying, "I'm satisfied. Yeah, yep. it didn't have my mom and dad's images, but it represents something that brings people together." And in this day and age, when there's so much division, we need symbols that talk about bringing us together. And he said he was moved by the artwork. He's a shill for the establishment. He's nothing like his dad. And the other thing is, notice how they didn't interview Seneca Scott, who's also a family member. And Seneca Scott was very much against that statue. And he wrote an article about it, but they brought him on Fox News. You see how they didn't bring him on? Yeah. I think there there was another one. I think Roland Martin used to make fun of her, like a, a part of the King family, and she, she it's a black woman, and she was, she was pro Trump. She was pro Trump, and Roland Martin just tear her apart, like just because she's pro Trump. I'm like, mm-hmm. how do I, I? I think Dexter is probably the radical in that family, Sabrina. I you think don't so hear too. too much of. Yeah, I think so too. And it's not just MLK side. People have to remember, again, he was married to Coretta uh, Scott King. So there's her side of the family, too. And that's what Seneca Scott, that was his thing, was just like, hey, you know, <laughs> like, I'm her her cousin. Seneca Scott ran for mayor um, in Oakland. So, like, Seneca Scott was just like, that statue is a disgrace to my family. But of course, the only person that would bring him on to get his side of the story was Tucker Carlson. They didn't even bring him on liberal media. They didn't bring him on CNN. They didn't bring him on MSNBC. Of course not. That statue was bullshit. Yeah, they, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 I forgot what I was going to say. Imagine if they make a statue of Sabby. It's the current picture right now, and they just saw her teeth. (laughs) <laughs> it'll be like oh it's okay oh, <laughs> her no, husband's gonna like that he you know a lot of people sleep man Coretta Scott she was already like an established accomplished woman before um like when, when King married her he was marrying up I mean she she already had her own thing you know and the just it says, uh, GoFundMe page started to help complete MLK statue. Who said that, Eric? 
It's just a joke on Babylon B. Oh. <laughs> but it's a GoFundMe page to help complete it. Maybe you should do a GoFundMe. Go get you should do it because uh, the, the Boston. Another 10 mil. Go, go get your $10 million back, Eric and Sally. That's a mess. That's a mess. All right, guys. I am going to head out. It's getting pretty late, and I actually do have fault lines in the morning. So, um... Oh, wait. Did, uh, did Dave have any, anything to say? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dave never unmuted, so he might be asleep. If you can unmute Dave and say something, you can... Last chance. <laughs> Last call. Last call. All right. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and head out. Um, I'll be on fault lines in the morning at 9.15 a.m., and then I'll be live again tomorrow night. Other than that, I'll see you on Sunday. One more thing, Sabby. Do you know the story?